Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have booked shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Welcome to episode 45. As always, you can find the podcast on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. Check us out on Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcasts. Uh, there'll be like five more episodes this year after this episode. Uh, the next episode is going to feature Greg and Donnie from the band One Up. Well, we'll be talking about One Up and probably some other stuff with them. Uh, I'm going to have Chris Ring on again real soon. Uh, we'll have some other cool stuff coming up soon. So just keep your eyes on the website and the Instagram. So this should be a good time tonight. We got uh, This is pretty much my first time bringing somebody on from uh, Detroit. And I'm actually not super familiar with that city. So it'll be cool to kind of get his perspective uh, on the whole city and everything. So we'll be talking about bands he played in, uh, fests that him and I went to, and some other cool uh, memories. So we're talking about my friend Ian Courtney. Uh, how's everything going for you tonight, Ian? Yo, what up? Josh Lyons and the motherfucking hissy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm excited to do this, man. Like we were talking before I started recording, uh, you and I haven't really talked in a while. And uh, as you were pulling out some old emails, we have uh, some old correspondence and memories from, from many years ago. Oh, yeah. So it should be fun talking about oh, that. Oh, yes. Too, man. Yeah, yeah. Josh, uh, you know, Lyons is the kingpin of Rochester, you know, and New York hardcore. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'd say that, but I was definitely around for it. And uh I think the more I think about a lot of the, the fun shows that were here that I put on, you were at a lot of them. You know what I mean? Like there is, there's a carry on show that we've talked about a lot over the years that, that you were definitely there for that. And then you and I were talking about that, that one up show uh, that you had an email from me from, from literally like 20 years ago. So we'll get into it later, but there's just so many fun, uh, fun memories from shows that you and I were at uh, in the same room at the same time. So, but I guess before we get into that, like I said, you're, you're, you're from Detroit, obviously, right? Or like that area. Yeah, that's where I was mostly raised, um, you know, since I was a little kid. Yeah, you know, um, the metro Detroit area, to be exact, um, you know, which is like the, you know, all the surrounding cities. I mean, Detroit is a huge city, you know, probably one of the biggest cities in America, you know, but uh, the metro Detroit area, I mean, that's kind of where, you know, a lot of the other action is, you know, it's kind of the suburbs, I guess you could say, but uh, I mean, you know, back in the, like the you know, in the day in like the fifties and sixties, Detroit was the suburbs, you know what I mean? And then all the racial segregation and stuff like that kind of split everything up, you know? So. So I guess what was the experience like growing up there? And then like, what kind of music like were you interested in before like hardcore and punk, if, if anything, I guess. Um, I mean, I guess for me, I mean, I, like I said, I did grow up in the suburbs. So and I'm Asian American, you know what I mean? So at that time, I mean, it was mostly nothing against, you know, any you or anybody else, but it was mostly Caucasian people, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, and for me, when I was younger, I didn't really look at race, you know, I was just like a kid, just like anybody else, you know what I mean? And then someone kind of pointed it out that I was different, you know what I'm saying? And then I was like, oh, okay, you know what I mean? But, uh, but so, you know, so there's that little element of where you're kind of like, I don't want to say you're like an outsider automatically because of the color of your skin, but at the same time, it also makes you a little bit more unique. Now, sometimes like when you're in like a school situation, a lot of the, 
I guess for lack of a better term, a lot of the races end up sticking together. Like, did you, did you grow up with a lot of other Asian Americans then, or was it still kind of like mixed for you at that point? Yeah, no, it was just, it was just me. You know, there was like a, a half black kid and then that was it. it was, everybody else was just Caucasian. You know what I mean? But yeah. you know, that's just the roll of the dice. I mean, it would just be the same deal if, you know, some white kid moved to China and then he was surrounded by a bunch of Chinese kids. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, yeah. it's, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no hate in the game. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just the roll of the dice. Yeah. Like I grew up like right downtown Rochester. So I kind of grew up around more like diverse uh, people, you know what I mean? So it was okay. a, lot, a lot of this and a lot of that, or I guess around at a young age, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's how it should be though. I mean, we're all, we're all one human race. You know what I mean? That's really yeah. what it boils down to. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. We're in a situation now, like we live, we live in the city of Rochester and it's, it's getting, I mean, you're, you're, you know, Detroit obviously has had a lot more uh, of these kind of issues in the past. I don't know what it's like now, but, but Rochester has been pretty, pretty violent lately. So we're, we're considering moving, you know, to the suburbs probably like next year, the year after with kids and stuff, you know, but. Uh, what's, what's going down there? I'm sorry to hear about the, the trouble. What's going down there? It's just like literally every, and it's not even that far from our house, like within two miles, like, uh, Wow. Shootings, stabbings, like Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's like every other day too, literally. Like they're like this week, like even yesterday there was like literally like two incidents in that neighborhood. And then uh last week there was like two different there's there's probably been like six shootings in the last like couple months, uh not oh, far from our house. Like I'm I'm not saying it's in our neighborhood, but it's 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 within two miles, you know what I mean? So it's close yeah. enough. You know, yeah. so kind of like uh you know, I've always been a fan of the city, but now it's kinda of like maybe not the part we're living in anyways, you know. Right, man. Yeah, sorry to hear, dude. You know, yeah. Yeah, you know, it is what it is, I guess. But you know, um, so how? What kind? I guess what kind of drifted you towards like punk and hardcore eventually? Then. Okay. Yeah. So just to uh, backtrack and answer your other question about music. So yeah. uh, like my the beginnings of music. So I guess you know yeah when I was like ten, eleven, you know. So I grew up in the eighties, you know. So by ninety, I was ten, you know. So Around that time, I was, you know, I listened to the radio. I listened to, like, Belle Biv DeVoe and, like, Vanilla Ice, you know, shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, Do Me Baby, you know, all, all that fucking noise. But, um, and then around when I was, like, 13, that was kind of when I think I developed a little bit more of my own taste. And that was kind of when I got into, um, I, you know, I got into, like, the alternative music that was going on then. You know, like, Smashing Pumpkins. Nirvana, you know, um, Alice in Chains, you know, shit like that. You know what I mean? And it's funny because, I mean, all those bands to a certain degree were influenced by hardcore, you know, or at least kind of not necessarily directly, but I mean, a lot of those bands came from like SST records and, you know, shit like that or whatever, or they listen to like Black Flag, you know what I mean? So in a, it's, I just, it's a it was a strange course to be you know listening to those bands and then kind of get into hardcore afterwards you know what i mean so you know it's crazy now is like a lot of the stuff now that's really popular is either influenced by hardcore you can tell that it, like the people were derived from it at some point you know like not everything but a lot of the, a lot of the mainstream stuff i feel like right now you know yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool if you think about it because I mean hardcore, even though it's never really touched the mainstream. I mean, what the closest is probably like what Sick of It All or like Hatebreed, or or maybe Civ. You know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah, it's always kind of had 
you know, a hand in the pot to a certain degree. I mean, obviously you got like Zach De La Roca, you know, from Inside Out and Rage Against the Machine. And then, you know, like uh, Pete Wentz, you know, from like Extinction and like Race Trader and all those, you know, Chicago hardcore bands and then going into Fall Out Boy. You know what I'm saying? So there's always kind of been a little bit of a, uh, you know, hand, hand in the pot, you know, so. Yeah, definitely. So now, was there like a, a, a crossover point, I guess? Like for me, a lot of the music you're talking about, like like a, even a couple years later for me, like 94, 95, like the, the popular punk stuff was kind of what brought me into hardcore. Like what kind of, like was there a band or like an, uh, a gateway, I guess, to get you, like to lead you into hardcore? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in 96, you know, I started getting into punk and ska. And that was when I kind of started going to punk and ska shows, you know. And then... I had a buddy uh, who I grew up, uh, who was my next door neighbor. He was my, one of my buddies growing up. And, uh, and, you know, he was like, oh, there's this band H2O that's playing Warp Tour. And then we went and saw them in 97. And that was kind of, I never really looked back since, you know. So that was kind of what, what hooked me, you know. I feel like the Warp Tour for people our age was definitely a pretty good uh, introduction, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool because, I mean, you know, they kind of, I, I, it seemed to kind of go other directions later on in the 2000s, but in the 90s, it was still a little bit more rooted in punk. Not to say that it went a different direction later, because I I'm, I think it always kind of has had a punk mentality, whether or not the bands were, you know, they were like hip hop or, you know, crazy, like, you know, crazy like kind of out there bands or whatever but uh yeah it's always kind of had a punk mentality you know so yeah definitely was uh probably a pretty cool way for a lot of people to find out about you know different styles of music that were in the same realm yeah so now i guess how long in between like going to all that kind of stuff like was it till you realized there was like a local scene like where you could see like local 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 shows and participate with stuff like that (laughs) yeah okay so this is kind of funny because i mean i i didn't even realize like I, like, when I was first getting into hardcore, I was into, like, New York hardcore, like, uh, you know, H2O, Warzone, 25 to Life, you know, bands like that, Madball, you know what I mean? And then I was also into, like, the youth crew stuff, like, Ten Yard Fights, uh, In My Eyes, Floor Punch, you know, stuff like that, you know what I mean? And I, I was always, like, you know, all those bands were from the East Coast, you know? So I was always like, what the fuck? Like, why are all these cool bands from the East Coast, you know, like? I didn't really realize that we had like a local scene, but the local scene in Detroit was a little bit more underground to a certain degree. I mean, no Detroit bands from that era that were even kind of bigger were, were big, you know? So um, it took me a minute to realize that there was a local scene. Um, And, you know, um, even when I, you know, the the first band that I roadie for was Cold as Life. Okay, and that was in 98. I just graduated high school. I graduated a semester early and they took me out and to record, it was during when they were mixing the Born to Land Hard record. And they did it in New York, upstate New York um, at this spot. I can't remember what it was called, but we were there for probably a good week, week and a half or something. And then even then, I didn't even realize there was a local scene. Like I, I didn't really find out about the local, local scene until maybe 
you know, a handful of months later. So now, I don't know if that did, did, did I answer your question or I don't know if what, whatever. You definitely. I mean, you definitely kind of, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about it anyways, but I, I want to mention yeah. for anyone listening that you did casually mention roading for cold as cold as life. And I will obviously ask you a few more questions about that later. Cause I'm sure people will be interested to hear about that experience. Um, but so I guess you're realizing like you said 98 you went out with cold as life but like what were like some of the was that like the first real local band that you kind of like made a connection to then yes okay i see what you're saying okay uh yeah so yeah i guess technically that would be the first local band that i made a connection with but the thing is like they were kind of already uh, like you know because that was the second generation cold as life you know what i mean like that was after ron had died and so, I mean, you know, they kind of had their first wave, like what, the late 80s, early 90s, you know what I mean? And so they were also older, you know what I mean? Like I was like 18 and they were, you know, 27, you know, 26, 28, you know what I mean? So as far as like the first, like kind of like local bands that I kind of connected with that were my age, you know, that would kind of be like, uh, like the Trifon um varsity kind of posse you know what i mean that that was kind of like my first like inkling with the like local local like underground scene and again like i was saying in the beginning like i'm familiar with like detroit hardcore obviously like cold as life and the bands you just mentioned and some other bands but like i'm not as familiar with like like classic shows there and stuff like was there like i can think of a few shows in my mind that stick out like were there shows in like between 96 and 98 that you were going to where you're like okay now here we go like were there i guess like i saw floor punch in buffalo in 97 like were there any bands like that rolling through there around that time like like hey, it's like, funny because yeah yeah it's funny because i missed some of that stuff like because i didn't realize there was a local scene you know like i was going to shows but i just didn't know about you know, where they were. Cause I mean, this was kind of really before, you know, it's before the internet. So people couldn't just post shit. I mean, I don't even know if message boards were really a thing then, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I didn't like, you know, like battery and tenor fight came through and they played at a venue that I went, that I ended up going to, but I didn't know about the venue or like, you know, how to get flyers or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Cause that was really the only way you could find out about shows was through flyers or word of mouth. You know what I mean? So. Uh, but yeah, as far as notable stuff, I mean, I was going to like some of the bigger stuff around like, I mean, one big show that I remember was a show that Madball played at this kind of notable venue called St. Andrews Hall. Um, a lot of bands have come through there. It's, you know, it's probably, I think it's probably similar to like the Webster Hall in New York, from what I understand, you know, um, you know, it's like a thousand, you know, capacity venue or whatever. But uh, yeah, Madball played this show. It was with, I get a little mixed up because there was like, you know, a bunch of like uh, those like victory era bands that were kind of coming through here, like Blood for Blood and like Earth Crisis, Hate Breed, you know. But the Madball show, I remember because, you know, it, it, was, it was a big tour package. But I remember a lot also because there was a huge brawl between like DMS and ctyc and some other people and madball got banned from playing st andrews hall because of that fight damn that's that's crazy i uh you know i mean that's another thing like you don't you don't really see stuff like that as much now you know 
I mean, you 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 actually reference a couple of things you don't see as much now, like the the, the violence is is hit or miss, I guess. But uh, the, the thing you're talking about with Which the, is kind of, what's that? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no I was gonna say, the other thing you were talking about with the with the the flyers and the message board is obviously something I bring up on here a lot because I have a lot of a lot of people I, I I interview on here are more like late '90s, early 2000s. So it, there wasn't obviously Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff that we have now to find out about a show within like two seconds, like sometimes i don't know if this ever happened to you but we went to like buffalo and syracuse a couple times and we didn't know the show was canceled till we got to the other city you know oh, no. what I mean? so sometimes <laughs> sorry man. you know yeah. uh, that's brutal that. that's brutal man yeah 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 that's brutal man yeah but are there any other standout memories i guess before you kind of started getting more um i guess another i mean okay i guess the other one that kind of comes to mind is the show that was at this venue called the wired frog I don't know if that place is still there, but um, it was like, I don't really know what that fucking place was. It was like a hangout spot. Like it was a coffee shop. Um, I think they had other kinds of shows there, but this show was memorable for me because I feel like this was kind of almost like, it's one of the first like all local band shows that I can remember, you know, so um candace kuslain from walls of jericho she booked the show and it was like you know it was all it was the local scene that i would get introduced to and kind of be inducted into and they would all become my friends you know what i mean so it was like um this band called counterfeit that was from windsor um which had chris rawson that you know would go on to play in walls of jericho and he currently plays in stick to your guns um i'm pretty sure next to nothing played i don't know if you remember that band but that's all the toledo posse you know all the guys that would go on to play in like premonitions of war and like ramallah and then the varsity played that show and trifon played that show and maybe uh, it, it may have been in i think pathomy played that show and i think that was it i could be misremembering a band here and there but um that was a really early, you know, local show memory. And the cool thing about that era of, you know, hardcore around here was that, um, you know, that, you know, it was, there was the Michigan scene and then there was the Toledo scene and then there was the Windsor scene. And all those spots are about an hour from each other, you know? And that was the scene here. Like we kind of had our own little trifecta going on. And all the kids from each of those three little scenes would all go to each other's shows. So it was, it was pretty cool, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I never realized all those cities were that close together. I knew Windsor was kind of close to you guys, but I guess I never realized that Toledo was that close too. And uh, Next to Nothing played here quite a bit. And, and we, we had Premonitions of War up here quite a bit too. So, and, and Mike helped me out quite a bit when he was doing his thing with Lumberjack too. So, you know. Yeah, Mike, Mike Aiden, definitely a top-notch dude, man. One of my favorite peeps, man. Still yeah. around, still around to this day, you know. Yeah, no, definitely, uh, hundred percent good dude. Like I said, he helped me out big time with the uh, the record label, so I have no uh, no complaints. So, now, like I said, I I don't know if you remember, but I remember first meeting you in like '99 or so. So, is that around the time when you started traveling like out of town a lot, or like was it when you were roading with? Like, did you did you go out of town with people like, before you started roading with bands? I guess, or was that like your first time really traveling out of town when you uh, roadied for cold with Cold's Life? uh i really don't remember to be honest yeah that may have been um no i would i okay i remember going to the rev revelation did a rev fest in 
98, I think. It was like the spring of 98, which was um, better than a thousand. Um, in my eyes, battery and speak 714 was on that, that leg of the tour. And so I went down to Cleveland for that show. Um, but I don't really remember any other. Yeah. Cold as life may have been like that. That was, may have been like the first time, but, um, yeah, probably that era. I mean, you know, by that time when we first met, which was at that MI show that tenor fight was supposed to play, you're talking about the Toronto show, right? Yeah. Well, we played basketball and I kicked your ass. Well, I don't remember it that way, but I do remember <laughs> basketball. I know. I'm, I'm highly joking there because obviously you won, you know what I mean? So that's, you know, I'm just kidding around there. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I was already rooting for Varsity by that point because I actually was supposed to go out with Varsity that weekend because they were playing a show with um, in Western Mass with Time Flies. And I was like, you know, at, at that point, I was this, the uh, the regular varsity roadie. You know, every time they, they went out, it was basically just a given that I went out with them. You know what I mean? Um, but I ended up getting food poisoning the, the day before the show. So okay. I ended up having, yeah, the, the day before they were supposed to leave to go to Western Mass. So I ended up not being able to go. But then I, I felt better the next day. You know what I mean? So I was like, oh, there's the MII show in fucking Toronto. You know what I mean? I'll just go to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I always kind of felt bad because I was like, I hope those dudes didn't think I like was just like, you know, faking on them. Like, oh, I'm sick, you know, and just like wanted to go to this to this MII show or whatever. But uh, yeah, so that that was how I ended up going there and how we ended up meeting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, also early as we once were show, right? You know, aka yeah. no no warning. You know, yeah. so there's that as well. I feel like I saw those guys up there a few times because there was another. Or maybe that is a show I'm thinking of. Because did the Swarm play that that in my eyes show? Yeah, they did. The Swarm played that show as well too. Yeah, that is a show I'm thinking of. There was a. Yeah, he Chris Callahan said some fucked up shit at that show. I mean, it was it's like his kind of humor though. But it was like a couple weeks after Columbine. And he was like, this song goes out to those kids that died or some shit like that. And they, they went right into Mommy, Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight? Yeah, it was like some crazy. I was just like, oh, man. Like, if anybody else said that shit, you'd be like, holy shit. But, like, it's just some shit he would say, you know? So. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it was crazy. Um, right on, right on. I don't, I don't remember that. But I do remember watching this warm at that show. I only saw them a couple of times. And that's just, I guess it's just something I wouldn't really forget, you know? It was just a crazy thing to say. And. I don't know if it's yeah, on, yeah. Uh, but you know, um, you don't know if it's what on the internet or no on video that that show or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Oh, I would love to see it. That's probably yeah. I remember them being sick at that show because I don't think I, I can't remember. I think I knew about Left for Dead, but I can't remember if I knew about the Swarm at that point. Yeah, but I remember them. Be, I remember them being sick though. Yeah, I saw them play a couple times because they played Buffalo like two or three times, and I, I saw them there a couple times too, but. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to do it because, like, obviously you did the Rodian thing and then the band thing. So, like, the way I kind of was going to try to do it, we, we'll talk about the bands you played in and then we'll talk about, like, uh, bands you filled them for and then, like, the Rodi thing at the end. Just because I feel like the Rodi thing is going to have some pretty, uh, especially with Cold as Life, some pretty crazy stories, whichever ones you're able to tell or remember. Um, <laughs> yeah, <well>. exactly. <laughs> so, I guess, so... Uh, yeah, and with the bands you've played, and I'm familiar with most of them except for a couple. So I guess, yeah, we'll go in order, though. Uh, let's start with Through Thick and Thin. 
So, um, yeah, through thick and thin, that was in 2001. Um, you know, it was a short-lived band. We were only around for like six months, but we did a bunch of stuff. Like we, our first show was with uh, Bane and Reach the Sky at this place called Mr. Muggs. That was a spot that had shows for a little while in Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is where Iggy Pop is from. And, um, and then we also did a tour with uh, Far From Breaking in the spring of 2002. Far From, uh, Far From Breaking. I, I had gone down to, because I have an uncle that lives in Texas, and I had gone down there to visit him. And then I can't remember. How, I, I, I'm assuming me and the Far From Breaking dudes had been talking at that point, And we just met up while I was down there, probably from trading demos or something. You know what I mean? And we met up in Texas and we hung out and then Far From, Break, Far From Breaking was like, uh, Jason Tarpey to be exact, was like, yo, you should come out with us. We're doing the spring tour, you know? And they literally put us in their van, you know, like, and took us on tour with them, you know? And we were, I mean, you know, like their van was small, you know, it was big enough for them, but to put a whole nother band in there, you know, we were literally like sardines the entire time. And, I, you know, I, can, I can't ever thank them enough for, you know, giving me that opportunity to do that. Because we also played some cool shows on that, on that tour, too. We did a gig with, uh, um, with uh, you know, like Desperate Measures and like Warren Thin and, and DC, where, uh, you know, I met up with Tim McMahon. Tim McMahon came out to the show because he was uh, recording vocals for Face the Enemy at that time and um in dc with like ken olden you know what i mean and tim came to the show and you know i was rocking my mouthpiece long sleeve coincidentally you know and me and tim we had been kind of talking on the internet at that point and um but that was the first time we had met and he was like yo dude like you know we're doing backup vocals for face the enemy you want to come out and i'm like oh shit i got like 12 other people with me you know what i mean and i'm, and I'm like we got to fucking drive down to florida to play you know tomorrow and he's like, fuck it, man, you know, bring everybody. Let's fucking do this, you know? So Tim invited us out to do, you know, guest vocals on, uh, you know, backup vocals on the Face the Enemy LP, which never ended up coming out in America. I think you can get it in Europe, but uh, I thought that was pretty fucking cool at that time for like a, you know, I think I was only like 20 years old at that time. And, you know, I was a huge Mouthpiece fan, you know? So um, that was really gracious to Tim to uh extend that opportunity as well too but uh yeah uh as far as that other, that other tour i can't remember other shows we played i mean obviously the the florida show was sick and that actually ended up being the last through thick and thin show um not on purpose um you know there was just obviously some issues with members and you know when when sometimes when i kind of um I don't feel the connection anymore with the band. I can't fake it to go on stage anymore and I'll just move on. You know what I mean? So, but uh, yeah, that Florida show was really cool too. Cause I was friends with um, Larry esteem, you know, and by that point he was doing um, his next band, which was playing still burns. Um, I can't remember if they played the show, but Larry, think book the show and i mean larry hook there was a bunch of people there so it was definitely a great way to go out you know i couldn't have asked for something better you know well now 
You were living in Detroit, though, right? I don't understand. You guys played your last show in Florida, and then you just drove back to Detroit, or? Yeah, what the deal was was that, um, okay, I mean, on that tour, um, it was just me that was representing through Thick and Thin, and it was, um, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, it was Eric from The Final Plan. He played bass, and then this other guy named Eric, that played in this Texas band called just short of living who would, and Eric would go on to play in like, uh, uh, desert measures and also bitter end. Um, he played guitar for through second band on that tour. And then, um, um, my friend, um, um, Daryl, who um, played drums in My Luck, and he also played in Far From Break. He played drums uh, for us on on that tour. So I was the only kind of original through Thick and Thin member on that tour. Um, you know, we, we could talk about the other members, or OG members if you want, but, you know, um, me and Eric from Final Plan, I, obviously the two Texas dudes just just left. You know, that was the last show of the tour, the, the Florida show. So the, the two Texas guys that filled in with through Thick and Thin, they went back to Texas, obviously, with Far From Breaking. And then me and Eric from Final Plan, who was from Cleveland, we took a plane back to the Midwest. Yeah, I always thought there were, I kind of remember you having some sort of Texas connection with that band. So I guess that makes a lot of sense. You know, all the, all the players and the, the touring with Far From Breaking. And then I've never seen Bitter End Live, but I always kind of, th- I always thought those guys looked familiar just from like pictures and videos. So that makes sense too, that they, they were from some like older bands back then, you know, I probably saw them at like shows back then or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I saw better end a handful of times. They were sick, dude. I mean, I like their, their records are definitely crushing, you know what I mean? And, um, and, um, you know, there's some solid dudes, man, you know, some, some definitely solid, solid Texas homies, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I like those records a lot, but yeah, I've never seen them. They've never they never played here. I think they played Syracuse once or twice, but they never they never played here. But you know, like I said, like I've been like I've been fucking around with the idea of doing shows again. So maybe I'll get some bands like that here eventually. You know, so we'll see. <laughs> but any uh, did you do any like uh, uh records or anything with Through Thick and Thin? No, we just put out a demo. Yeah, yeah. It's cool to be like, able to like do like tours and stuff like that off a demo back then. You know. Like now it seems like you have to have like a, a video or like an EP the way a digital EP, the way bands do it and stuff, you know, it's weird, you know? So, um, but then in the red now, I feel like, well, first of all, there was that, that, is that like a, was that like Detroit and Clevo you were doing in that people from Clevo in that band? I know Clevo himself was in that band, but like, that was like a people kind of spread out in that band too. Right. Yeah, so, okay, that band started because I was, uh, I mean, this is, it's kind of hopping around here because, you know, you were, you kind of had your, how uh, you kind of wanted to do the sections, but it might make more sense if I delve into um, playing with the final plan, you that's know, cool. filling in for them. Yeah, you know, cool. So I, you know, that was kind of how that happened. I mean, I was, you know, from like 2000 to 2004, I was booking a lot of shows in Detroit. You know, I was like kind of one of the main, show bookers like i did most of the underground kind of shows you know and so i booked final plan up here and obviously i was friends with those guys from when they played in committed 
you know, and I used to roadie for varsity, you know, and committed in varsity, we're playing a bunch of shows together, you know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, so I, in 2002, I played guitar for the final plan on their U.S. tour uh, for supporting the split record that they did with My Luck that Martyr Records put out, you know, um, and, you know, at that point, um, right when they, like, because I had been homies with Casey, who was singing in Final Plan, and, you know, we had been talking about me playing guitar for them. And so by the time that ended up happening, Casey and Final Plan had parted ways, and they were still going to do that tour, but Nate, the drummer, had done vocals for the split LP, you know, LP that Martyr Records put out, you know, so... I kind of felt weird because my, I, I, I said I would do the tour, you know, but Casey wasn't in the band anymore, but you know, so I said I would do the tour, but I wouldn't join the band. You know what I mean? And they, final plan ended up uh, breaking up shortly after anyways. I don't even know if they played any other shows after that tour, you know what I mean? But uh, so that was kind of how that connection happened for in the red, you know, um, you know, because I had these songs and um, which, you know, and I was like, you know, hey, you know, I so I just hit up, you know, Casey, you know, because he wasn't doing Final Plan anymore. And I was like, yo, do you want to, I got these songs, you want to just do this, you know what I mean? So, um, so I just started going down there like every week to practice, you know what I mean? And then we ended up, me and Casey ended up piecing together a band. It was also right around the time where Clevo had moved there from Boston, you know what I mean? And um, so, you know, uh, I, I actually didn't know Clevo at that point. Uh, Casey was friends with him. So that was kind of how that connection ended up happening. But obviously uh, that was a huge deal for me because I was huge into tenor fight. You know, I was, I, I was a fan of any of the, all those bands that Clevo was in, you know, Right Brigade, Stop and Think. You know what I mean? So, but the weird thing is that I was, uh, you know, I was younger then, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden I'm in this band with this dude who I kind of looked up to, you know what I mean? And I felt like it was, it, it, um, it, it was like intimidating for me. And I kind of, you know, I wasn't mature enough to just be like, yo dude, I'm huge into your bands. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I kind of like, I think I kind of played it off like, you know, I was like a cool guy or something like an idiot, you know what I mean? So there was, you know, that, that was kind of, I think, awkward probably for the both of us because of that, you know what I mean? But, uh, I mean, me and Clevo are still cool to this day, you know what I mean? So there's not, you know, some weird vibe or something, you know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, so, and then I, John Millen was in, in the red as well too, you know, who's from committed and John has himself has a pretty hefty, um, hardcore, you know, I don't want to say resume, but he had played in a bunch of bands at that point. Like he was in, you know, committed. He had played in the first step. He was one of the OG members of the first step. Um, he had played in good, clean fun when good, clean fun was still popular, you know, um, he had played in running like thieves, you know, um, with the dudes from bold, you know what I mean? So John was obviously a, a huge valuable asset to be in the band as well too, you know? And then at that point we had, which it's funny because Nate, who was in the final plan, who 
ended up singing in the final plan. May was the first drummer for in the red. So he was the OG drummer. So it was like me and a bunch of Cleveland dudes, you know? Um, and it always was weird for me in a way because like, I was like, oh, you know, like, I, you know, cause I was from Detroit, you know what I mean? And then people would refer to in the red as the Cleveland band. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess, I guess we are kind of a Cleveland band. You know what I mean? Cause like I was the only member at that point that was from Detroit, you know what I mean? So, but we, our second drum, Nate ended up having to bounce cause he um, was doing my luck, you know, at that time. And, you know, that was just kind of where his priorities were. So he ended up bouncing and then we ended up getting this other drummer from Detroit. Um, and then, and then that was kind of that, you know, so. Would you just drive to Cleveland to practice them pretty much or? Yeah, I would drive there every week. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted that band to happen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, you guys played, I mean, I know I, I booked at least one show for you guys here. Cause I remember you guys staying at my apartment I know I want to say you at least played Posse Fest too. So you guys definitely did a bunch of stuff like, like show wise, right? Yeah. Ironically, that tour was the end of us as well too. You know? Really? Um, yeah. We, yeah. So I, you know, obviously we played that show. Thank you so much for booking that show for us, you know, um, hooking it up. Um, that show was cool. That was near the beginning of the tour. Um, that was in like this cool, like coffee shop, right? Yeah. I can't remember who else played. I was trying to think about that tonight i don't know if it was just you guys and some local bands or if you guys were on tour with somebody at the time you remember no, we went we went out by ourselves i think it was all of this local bands but wow, i the, the vibe was cool it was like a cool little kind of intimate spot and yeah. like it was like a coffee house it was in the basement you know so um there was room but it was still like packed in you know what i mean oh so, dude i know what show that was that was with breather resist you guys ended up playing that show because you guys came I, I remember because I booked two shows that day. It yeah, was yeah. it was Breathe the Resist, the Funeral, you guys, and some other bands. And then I had Mastodon playing that night yeah, at yeah, the arcade. Yeah. And some dudes from your band wanted to see Mastodon, I think, or some shit. Yeah. You guys yeah, all came yeah. there that night too. I want to yep. say, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the show. I, 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 yeah, yeah. I, I felt like I was with the coolest dude, you know, in town. You know what I mean? Like you realize, like I booked us that show, and then you're like, oh yeah, I got this other show going on yeah. you know, with Mastodon. And then you just like ushered us into that show. And I was just like, damn, dude, this is, you know, this is what VIP status feels like. You yeah. know what I mean? And then like six months later, I lost interest and stopped booking shows for a long time. So <laughs> it happens. I mean, dude, you know, that's, but you know, I mean, I don't think I was ever at your level, but I mean, I did a lot of shows, but you know, like I said, I did mostly underground shows, you know what I mean? So I didn't have to fuck with contracts or whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? But, but still, I mean, it burns you out, dude. You know, yeah. you're doing so much legwork and, you know, I, you know, there's not that much return. But, I mean, the, the cool thing about it, doing shows, I think, is, you know, you're just connecting with people from, from other places. You know what I mean? So, it's cool, you know, to be able to, to do that. You know what I mean? Like, and make friends and shit like that in that kind of way. Yeah. No, I definitely made a lot of connections that I still have to this day. Like, even if... I don't talk to those people about music. I still talk to them about life in general and shit, you know? So it's cool just having people that I know from, you know, the scene. So, um, but the show aspect, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like, I put that in our little agenda of stuff to talk about tonight. Cause I did remember you having booked shows, but I never knew like, like what level you had gotten to with booking it. So you, you mainly did like, just like DIY hardcore the whole time you did stuff. But like how often, yeah. like, like I was at a point where I was doing like literally every week, at least one or two, like, were you at a point where you doing like consistently like every single week or was it just like, 
No, it was just pretty much probably maybe once a month or once every couple months or something like that. You know what I mean? Pretty much any time, uh, you know, a, a band that I liked needed a show or a band that I was friends with or a band that, you know, I really wanted to bring here, like that I would like hit up and be like, yo, you should come here. You know what I mean? You know, because I, you know, not only was I psyched on, you know, certain bands, but I wanted to kind of build up a scene here, you know, so. Was that, I guess, usually it's pretty self-explanatory, but like, were you making a lot of those connections, like playing in, in the bands you were in, like, and like playing in other cities and like meeting other bands and stuff, or like, to, to like, to like book shows in Detroit, I guess, you know what I mean? It was a mixture, you know what I mean? So yeah, it was definitely people I was meeting on the road, but like I said, at the same time, I was adamant about going after bands. Like, you know, like Count Me Out was one of my favorite bands at that time. And I would hit them up all the time. Um, like Shark Attack, I was into them. And I booked a show for them here, but they ended up breaking up before the show happened, you know. And I actually saw their last show, which was at in Worcester um, at the Palladium. It was with Bane, uh, Panic. Uh, the second stop and think show, um, American Nightmare played, um, Scab Punch played. Um, it was a, it was the last Shark Attack show. It was the last Reach the Sky show, and also Cro-Mags and Bad Brains played. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I've only seen Bad Brains like real a real short set one time. So. I mean, at this point, you know, who knows what it would be like, but it still would have been cool to, like, what, what was that? Was that a pretty cool, you know? Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool is an understatement. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, I did see Shark Attack, though. There was uh, one of the Posse Fests that we were at together in 2001. They played that. So that was, that was a good time. Count Me Out played, too, obviously. That, that was probably my favorite of all the Posse Fests. I think 2001 was my favorite. It was like American Nightmare was on fire right then. You know, Bane had a really killer set that weekend, which they always did, you know, um, all those bands. So it was just it was always something every year with that fest. You know what I mean? It was it was a good time. I missed like the last one, maybe two. Uh, I know there was one that got like shut down or some shit. I don't think I went to that one. And then there might have been one after that even, too. But 2003, I, I think that was the year you played that. You played in a in the red play that one, right? 2003? Yeah, that was actually our last show. Also inadvertently, you know, yeah. that wasn't on purpose. Um, the band just kind of fizzled out just because, like, um, what happened was our drummer, we had all decided to go out separately, you know, because we were all, like, you know, those guys were in Cleveland, and me and the drummer were here, but I wanted to go on other days, and he didn't want to go on other days, so we just all decided to drive out separately. And then our drummer at that time, he decided to – he decided that he didn't want to drive 10 hours to go play a show and just didn't come out. So we we're sitting there panicking. Um, like what the fuck? Like, we don't know what's going on. We don't know if this guy's dead. You know, we don't, he, he, he wasn't calling us back. Like nothing, you know, we didn't know what the heck was going on. We we're supposed to be playing. You know what I mean? Like this big, this big fest with all our friends and all these people, you know? And um, luckily though, Izzy from the first step um, stepped up and filled in on drums for us. He just went and learned the songs in the parking lot, listened to the demo, you know, five, six times, and then jumped on stage with us and, and played the set with us. So, and he did a great job, especially considering that he had never played the songs with us once, you know? So I remember yeah, that ended up, 
I'm sorry. I remember walking by oh. and seeing him listening to the songs in the van or whatever. I remember. Oh, seeing, okay. Yeah, and then. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, that ended up being our last show because um, you know, the you know this I you know the steam just got sucked out of me because I had put so much effort into that band and then to have something like that happen to me was just too much of a blow, you know. And I just kind of, I just kind of lost the passion for doing that band, you know. So. So, so that was it then you guys didn't do any like last Detroit or Cleveland show. It was just the posi numbers and that was it pretty much. Yeah, that was it. So now, as you mentioned kind of before about jumping around a little bit, there's obviously probably stuff that will blend in with the timeline better with like bands that you filled in for and roadied for. So when I start mentioning the next couple of bands, if, if that, you know, helps bridge the gap a little bit, you can do that too. But um, the next band that you had kind of mentioned, I'm, I'm not really familiar with that one at all. Uh, what's, what was the story behind uh, Hawkeye? Okay, so Hawkeye came a little bit later. That was in 2000. I mean, the first germination of Hawkeye was in 2006. And I was living in Detroit at that time. And Alex On from, you know, Coalition and Varsity um, played guitar in that first germination. And this other guy named Ali, who was playing in the a local Detroit band called Death and Custody. He played drums. And I had this weird idea where I didn't want a bass player. I just wanted like a guitar player and a drummer because I just kind of wanted to try to do something different. You know what I mean? And that was kind of the first incarnation of Hawkeye. We only played one show. It was the Detroit Birds record release. We had it at our house that we were living at at the time in Detroit. Um, And yeah, that was the first show that we played. And then that and then Alex kind of, you know, I guess lost interest in doing the band. Um, and then I think he went to play in Hellmouth next. Um, so I think that's kind of where his priorities were, you know what I mean? Um, but uh, Hawkeye kind of ended up resurfacing around uh, about a year later when my friend Haroon, um, who, you know, we had played in a bunch of early bands together like through thick and thin he was the first through thick and thin drummer or the only through thick and thin drummer basically and then you know we had played another show together with i think what was his first band which was i can't remember what they were called but um he did it with his brother seconder um and you know that show we played in saginaw um i learned the songs in the parking lot um i played bass you know for that one show and then you know uh you know moving to the future with hawkeye you know haroon was you know like hey you know if you want to do hawkeye you know i'll play guitar so we ended up kind of making that happen and we recorded a demo um we recorded two demos one was just one song called so real it looks fake and then um we recorded a second demo which was three songs um which was ft ftw R.I.P. And then what was the other song? Um, oh, Mirror Image, you know. Um, and, you know, we were basically just a Detroit band. Like that band, I, I just wanted it to be like a Detroit band. Like I wanted it to be kind of like how bands would kind of like have these regional bands and other people would be like, oh, like I have to drive to this city to see this band. You know what I mean? Like that was kind of how I wanted Hawkeye to be. 
and we were we were only around for a few years but we we only played sporadically you know but we played some cool shows um you know notable was also our last show this was in like 2009 or something um and um it was at the Trumbleplex in Detroit which is like a really notable uh DIY venue you know all kind it's it's I think it's one of the oldest DIY venues in America okay it's just like this like nonprofit kind of place but um you know I've seen a lot of cool bands there but uh yeah so our last show was there it was this benefit for Refuge Skate Shop which is uh this guy named Eric Z owns and operates it and he's like one of the one of the only older heads that goes to shows in Detroit. Um, he booked a lot of the early nineties shows like shelter and like lifetime and stuff like that. And then, you know, he opened up a shop in the early two thousands and started having shows there. I booked a lot of the DIY shows that I did there, you know, like mental and like panic and stuff like that. Um, and Eric was having trouble at the time and he was about to close. And I was like, fuck that, you know, like, so we did a benefit show and we're able to help him, you know, stay open and he's still open to this day. But that benefit show was pretty cool. You know, people came out in droves, you know, and, you know, all kinds of everybody helped out, like, you know, a bunch of the local bands, you know, volunteered their time and, you know, and we were able to make it happen. So that was definitely a memorable show. I'm trying to think of other Hawkeye shows that were memorable, though. Um Oh, we, we, you know, we played with Trash Talk, you know, one time at, you know, at, uh, at the, at the Magic Stick, which is like a, 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 a kind of a legendary Detroit venue, you know, all kinds of bands have played there, you know, across the, you know, across all different kinds of genres. Um, yeah, that was a huge show, but the reason that show was huge, because that was, that was kind of early Trash Talk when they were just kind of popping off, you know? um and they were on tour with leftover crack and the reason we played that show though was because of trash talk you know what i mean so leftover crack which i am not familiar with them but by the we opened the show and by the time we played there was you know that venue was packed you know it was you know 600 people you know what i mean so um yeah that was another notable show i mean like i said with hawkeye you know we were around for three or four years but we probably only played like 10 or maybe maybe a dozen shows at most you know what i mean so it was a rare occasion that we would play that's pretty cool you kind of kept it like exclusive or whatever like make it so it was a really like cool thing to see type thing you know not not that often you know or was it just it just worked out that way i guess I guess, you know, because, yeah, I mean, like I said, there's a little bit of crossover because I was playing in Razzle Dazzle at that time. And I was, I think I was playing with some shows with Detroit Birds as well. So, you know, there was, there was stuff going on, you know, all of us were kind of doing, doing things, you know, and all of us kind of shared members, you know what I mean? So, you know, we would kind of play some shows here, some shows there, you know what I mean? So it was just kind of like that. We were, it was a, it was a Detroit, you know, thing. Yeah, no, and I guess if unless you have more to talk about with uh with that, I guess the next band was speaking of Detroit was actually Detroit Diamonds. Okay. Yeah, Detroit Diamonds. Okay, so that was kind of an evolution of Detroit Birds in a way. Um it was me and uh Ryan Mills, um 
and who lived in Chicago and um, a couple of the guys who were playing in face reality at the time, Rob Mansell and Derek, Dan, uh, Derek, you know, Daniel and uh, a double D, you know, um, but uh, yeah, so that was kind of how that started. Oh, and, and, our, and our friend Carlos, you know, um, he was actually the guy who uh, got the name Detroit Diamonds, you know, which if anybody doesn't know, that is um, when a, a car window gets smashed in Detroit and there's a bunch of gla- broken glass on the ground. That is what Detroit Diamonds is, you know, so um, that's what that is in reference to. But uh, yeah, that was, you know, another, I don't want to say short-lived band, but we were only around for two or three years. Um, you know, Ryan lived in Chicago, so that was a little bit of a, but he, he's originally from Detroit, you know, um, but he was living in Chicago at the time. And um, yeah, we also did some cool shows too, because we started out our first few shows, uh, Razzle Dazzle and Bill Destroy and Face Reality were doing like an East Coast weekend. And so they took us out. So our first shows were actually out of state, you know, like we played in Virginia um in new york city and then in wilkes-barre um or kingston or something like that one of those kind of spots you know um in that area but um yeah and then our first local show was a couple months later and that was with trapped under ice and backtrack and um some other bands which i'm drawing a blank right now but uh that was a really good first you know detroit show and then you know yeah we played some you know another handful of shows and then i think our last show was with terror and bane and rotting out maybe in like 2012 or something that was also at the magic stick um, and that was another stick show to play as well, too. Uh, many thanks to uh, Scott Bogle and Terror for putting us on the bill. So that was only like a year or so for that band, too, then? Yeah, I mean, okay, maybe that was the 2013, our last show. But it was, yeah, I think it was 2013. So that was like 2011 to 2013. So, yeah, about three years. I guess one thing that kind of makes, I kind of wonder when you're talking about playing, like, shows in Detroit, around that era versus booking shows in Detroit, like 10 years earlier, like what, like what were like the major differences you were starting to see, if any, I guess. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah. So it was a, in the era when I was booking shows, it was rough because it was, you know, these ill bands would come and play here like American nightmare or mental or panic. And, you know, it was the same 20 kids at every show, you know what I mean? So it was strange, you know, and and then in 2004, I, you know, was playing guitar for Coalition, and I, I had this bright idea to do the show that was like a crossover show, okay? So, uh, I, and I booked it, at, I, I co-booked it with uh, Ramona, who uh, did Black Iris booking for a while, you know? So she hooked it up at St. Andrew's Hall, and, um, you know, we did this show, that ended up being Coalition's last show because they kind of just got burnt out. But um, I didn't plan that for, I didn't plan to book that show 
for it to be our last show. That was kind of supposed to be like a jumping off point or just to help, you know, get a little bit of a crossover. You know what I mean? Um, but um, yeah, so I booked all these local bands that were all from kind of the punk hardcore scene or at least had some kind of connections to it. Like, you know, I booked this band called Bang Bang, which had members that had played in Coalition at one point. They were kind of like this Bronx style kind of like punk band, you know? And I would, I would go to their shows and like 300 people would show up. You know, they were just a local band though, you know, and 300 local people would come see them. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I would go and see this other band called For Dire, For Dire Life Safe, you know? Like those guys, they, you know, they were kind of more of like a metalcore band, but all those guys came from the hardcore scene. You know, they had hardcore ties, you know what I mean? So I would go and see them and I'd be like, huh, this is interesting. Like there's like 300 local kids coming to see this band. You know what I mean? And then, you know, we were homies with Black Dahlia Murder because like all those guys were, uh, you know, used to go to hardcore shows, you know. Um, you know, like Trevor, the singer, you know, used to rock like Chain of Strength hoodies and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Um, and I, and is obviously still a super cool dude. I'm still friends with him and stuff like that, you know. And, you know, I think it's great what they have ended up, you know, Black Dahlia Murder has achieved, you know. But, I mean, Black Dahlia Murder at that point was popping off. And so I was just like, yo, do you want to play a show with Coalition? And they were like, of course. They didn't even think about it, you know what I mean? So I just kind of pulled all, you know, all those bands, you know, together to play a show that kind of had ties to the hardcore scene, but were playing different kinds of uh, shows, you know what I mean? And so that, you know, that show ended up selling out, you know, there was like a thousand people. And I feel like that was kind of the show that ended up kind of turning the scene into kind of what it is today uh, to a certain degree, because um, a lot of people will kind of tell me that, you know, they were younger at that time and they saw, they kind of like didn't really know about hardcore or something. And then they saw Coalition and then that kind of like planted the seed. You know what I'm saying? And then so about, you know, a few years later, things really started to kind of pop off around here, you know, like around 08, 09, you know, I was playing in Razzle Dazzle at that time. Um, kids started coming out to see us play. You know, um, and then, you know, things just kind of started to pick up then, you know, and it's kind of been really ill ever since then around here, you know, like there's been a really kind of solid scene around here since it's around that era. Like when you go to shows, is it, it's a pretty consistent turnout for like, like no matter what the show is or does it depend on like, like who's on the bill or whatever? Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's. I think obviously it does depend on some degree who's on the bill, you know what I mean? But for the most part, there is, I mean, it's definitely not like it was when I was, you know, in the early 2000s when I was struggling trying to get people to go to shows, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, there's a pretty consistent scene here. You know, I, I, I would say there's a good solid core of like 100 to 200 kids that I'll see at like, you know, like a regular show that like, like a touring band would come through and play or something like that, you know, like candy or, you know, whatever. I mean, obviously right now, like never ending game is going on. Um, and they, you know, people are people like them. So, you know, when they play, people will come out and see them, you know what I mean? But the tough thing with, with never ending game is a couple of those guys don't live in the area. Like one of, uh, Dennis, um, who sang in freedom, he lives in, in California. And then, 
the one of their guitar players lives in Grand Rapids. So, you know, they, you know, they just basically can't play all the time. So, you know, it's kind of a rare occasion when they play as well. So people will come out and see them, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. I mean, that's a Midwest thing. You guys having members scattered all over the the country in different parts of the, the universe, so to no, speak. No, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I never thought about it like that. And you kind of were, were bringing that up a couple times with talking about promoting shows back then, which you referred to me as like uh, Kingpin or like, you know, big shot booking shows and stuff. But like, even that Mastodon show that you referenced, like I lost a hundred bucks on that show. You know what I mean? Like I booked, sorry, a, yeah. I lost 300 bucks that night. Like there was definitely yeah, sorry, a lot of bands that I liked that. I don't know if I just didn't make the right uh, agreement with booking agents at the time too. I don't feel like I was really paying bands that much. Like, I can't imagine they would be making very much getting paid such a small amount, you know, but um, yeah, I remember that. I remember that that Mastodon show was at like a decent sized venue. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was packed, but there was. Def- I remember. I definitely remember people being there. You know what I mean? But probably, obviously, from what it sounds like, it wasn't enough to meet yeah. the um, you know the contract or whatever. You know what I mean? The guarantee yeah. or whatever. You know. So some of the sorry shows that you lost money. Sorry, yeah. sorry that you lost money, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is what it is. Some of those yeah. shows could have been at smaller venues, but I feel like that Mastodon show was like one of those ones where it was at the right size venue, but just like you said, just not quite enough people were coming, but it just makes me think like, I feel like we were right on the cusp of like, like kind of like how you were saying, like when we were booking those shows back then, especially some of the bands that I was booking, like it was right before they really kind of started to pop off. And it was like, you know, if I would have waited a little bit longer, which I kind of just didn't really want to do the, do the shows. Cause there were so many elements that were just annoying at that time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's understandable. But, um, before we uh well and if you have anything else with the band when i was kind of looking around at detroit diamonds tonight too on your band camp there's a link to a youtube video which has an interesting like arrest video um of you kind of like like leaving jail or having oh, in jail or <laughs> oh, okay. any, any uh oh interesting i didn't know that was linked to that yeah that uh i was in chicago you know hanging with with the detroit diamonds you know with the chicago diamonds because uh after at one point two of the, the two guys from face reality face reality kind of started to pop off so they kind of started to focus on that so we ended up getting a new drummer this guy named mike Teresa, who played in hawkeye and then also um aaron airbo uh bonaire baby bon bon he uh the the detroit birds the second detroit bird singer the first Detroit bird singer was Bill Ballard, but he only sang one show with them, which was with uh, Desperate Measures um, that Detroit birds played. And it was the last jailbreak show. Um, and uh, that, it was at this place called School Kids in Detroit, which is like another kind of short-lived uh, DIY spot. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, so that video, I was hanging with the Chicago Diamonds and um you know it, it's silly but uh what ended up happening but this girl was this is, this is probably a lame story the video is probably so much cooler i should probably just lie and make something up but um there was some girl that was parked behind me and her car was black and i ended up backing up into her car and the cops came and you know they ended up giving the girl a ticket but i didn't have my insurance card on me and so the 
officer like ended up taking me to Chicago to the Chicago jail or the prison or whatever. And, you know, just for like a short thing, you know, and then, um, yeah, so I was in there for like 10 minutes and then I ended up skanking out of the bathroom and Ryan was just happened to be taping me getting out of jail, you know, so. Were you like behind yeah. bars or whatever? Or? No, I was just in something for, like you know, or whatever. Yeah, 20 minutes or whatever, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, I got I got arrested a few years back. I mean, I've told the story on here, but I, I didn't actually spend oh, yeah. any time in jail. I, I just got my picture taken after the fact yeah. for fingerprinting purposes or whatever, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. So, nothing uh, too crazy. Well, pretty crazy, but nothing too crazy, I guess. Um, <laughs> oh, one question I have, and I guess it refers to to like both the bands that we're talking, the, the band that we're talking about now and the next band. Like when did like the different kinds of like uh like influences for like different kinds of like vocal styles come into play? Cause like the vocals are like, you know what I mean? They're they're original kind of sounding in, in some of these projects. You know what I mean? Okay, interesting. Okay. I'm not sure what you're referring to, but um okay, with okay, so with your thick and thin, I sang in that band. Yeah. And then in the red I played guitar. And then Hawkeye, I sang in that band. And then Detroit Diamonds, I played guitar. And then the next band, I sang in that band as well, too. Um, I'm not sure. It's probably just the aspirations of trying to do something different. You know what I mean? Trying to bring something new to the table. You know what I mean? That, that's probably it. Both of these bands, like the, the, the band we're about to talk about in a second, and the, and the Detroit Diamonds bands, it was like, they. I mean, I remember the... The stage dive band when you posted i listened to that at the time too but i uh, listened to detroit diamonds too i was like both bands have like a real original uh flair to the vocals you know what i mean it's not like your typical like just like screaming into a mic you know what i mean so okay cool man well yeah i guess i never really thought about it like that but uh yeah thank you i appreciate that yeah so um when like i guess talking about stage dive now like that's kind of like more of like a solo thing but with, like you with a drummer like are you are you pl you play all the instruments otherwise or yeah i mean stage dive okay uh yeah so i mean you know that's you know i co i kind of quote unquote of you know i started playing the first band i played for that i played a show with was varsity in 99 and that was um i just filled in at that show they 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 were gonna ask me to play guitar but i ended up having to move out of state you know so um at one point for a little while so that's why i didn't end up becoming like an official member but you know, like i said I, you know anytime varsity went out i was always with them you know what i mean so the first show i played was with varsity it was in 99 it was at this place called who's emma in toronto it was with you know as we once were were you at that show no but i know i know, I know the place you're talking about i can think of you know, so I can think of, go on though. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, it was As We Once Were, uh, Committed, and Walls Around Us, which was uh, Mike, uh, uh, Mike's, uh, Haley Chuck's first band, you know, or I don't, I don't know if it was, a, it was his first band, but, you know, it was the band I believe he did right before Fucked Up, you know, so, um, you know, it was the Toronto, uh, Cleveland, you know, Detroit Posse, and um yeah that was a really great show to play um yeah you know i couldn't have thought of a better way to have been you know to have to have been my first show first you know first ever show to play uh live you know so 
um yeah i was really touched then you know like it meant so much to me and um you know I, I i there may be video but i gave like a weird speech while committed was playing like i grabbed the mic i was like hey casey can i say something you know and and they let me say something and i probably said something super cheesy and sentimental but you know it, it really meant so much to me at that time you know what i mean so and then the last show i played was in 2014 and that was with detroit birds um that was at the garden bowl which is a bowling alley underneath a magic stick um and that was with vulgar display from texas and then i think build and destroy played that show um but yeah so i mean that's a 15-year run of steadily every year i played in bands okay you know sometimes multiple bands you know what i mean and those are all diy underground hardcore bands you know what i'm saying you know no you know no no, nothing wrong with it, but no pro core stuff. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't making money off of this stuff. You know what I mean? So, um, I just think I got burnt out in playing in bands. Like, and also I was kind of, you know, trying to devote more of my attention and energy and focus to my filmmaking, you know, aspirations. So that was kind of, I think another reason why I kind of quote unquote officially stopped, you know, but with Stage Dive, I just kind of had a, some songs. I was like, oh, these songs sound cool, you know, like, um, and I was buddies with Nick, who um, was in Freedom. Um, and, you know, I hit him up one day and was just like talking about looking for a drummer. And he was like, oh, I play drums, you know, like, and I was like, oh, okay, like. And he was like, yeah, I, I got to, I'm recording stuff right now, you know? And he's like, yeah, I have all this equipment and stuff. Like I didn't have a guitar, like I didn't have a guitar during Detroit Diamonds. I didn't have any, a or any equipment during Detroit Diamonds. And we played, you know, like a dozen shows, you know what I mean? Like, and I didn't have any guitar or equipment with stage dive, you know? I just like had these songs that I would like hum or whatever. And, uh, and so I just brought it and Nick had everything. So he just like made it so easy for me, you know, and I was just like, all right, let's do this. You know what I mean? So we, we recorded a couple songs and that's just kind of like, that's just like a side of a side of a side project for the both of us, you know, just something for us to do together. Like the other thing with Nick, uh, his name's Nick, Nick Cuckway or Cutchway. I'm not sure if I'm, you know, I've known him since he was like a little kid, you know, like 15 years old, but, um, or, but, uh, yeah, so um so i should know better you know to, how to pronounce his last name properly sorry nick but uh yeah so um you know he was also outside of playing in freedom he was also one of the main show, show bookers uh, in the you know uh 2010s era you know what i mean like so you know he was one of the guys that was working for the scene you know what i'm saying so it was kind of cool for me and him to be able to, to connect and, you know, because we, you know, because of all the effort and work that we've done to, you know, make a Detroit hardcore scene happen, you know what I mean? And so it was just kind of like a joining of of two, you know, two guys that, that have done it, you know what I mean? So, and, and I've loved it, you know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, so we just recorded two songs um, that was just for fun, you know, I wasn't really ever planning on playing any shows. Um and we've talked recently about recording a couple other songs so we might record a couple other songs and who knows maybe we'll play a show someday
then you'd have to get some some other players in the band. Would you would you sing or would you play an instrument at that point? Or no real no real idea. I, I would probably just sing. You know what I mean? Because I, I don't really play. You know, I, I guess you know I've never played in any other style of bands outside of hardcore. But I, I don't know if I could play guitar and do hardcore. You know, guitar stylings and singing at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it always looked kind of weird seeing somebody like sing and play guitar at the same time in a hardcore band. You know. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is kind of bizarre. I mean, I can't think of too many options. I mean, outside of when Coldest Life, that second generation of Coldest Life is going, when Jeff Gannells was playing guitar and singing in the beginning of yeah. that like second incarnation. I mean, I can't really think of any other examples outside of Quicksand, maybe, you know, when Walter was at one point playing, or I mean, is, is playing guitar and singing. But I don't know if he actually started off doing that. I think he was just doing vocals in the beginning. Because I've seen pictures and stuff like where it was just him just doing vocals so i don't know you know i don't know what the case is that do you i'm not sure i'm not i'm uh i'll probably get some flack for this one i'm not a huge fan so uh oh gotcha gotcha <laughs> you hey know. you know their own you know what i mean yeah, yeah. Their own. there was one era of agnostic front though where i saw them at uh before it was black and blue ball when it was still like the super bowl of hardcore in, in uh, dc and they were touring on either uh something's gotta give or right right upstart one of those two records and in a couple of songs roger played guitar and sang and that seemed that, that Weird. Was, yeah that's the only there's only okay, one I've show been... i've ever seen him playing guitar and singing it was it was only for like two songs too but i was like that seems interesting kind of weird, you know i never even i never even knew that dude yeah i never yeah. even knew that at all that that was the case okay interesting I think it was oh, like 2002. I went down to DC. That was the only time. I've, well, I've been to a couple of shows in DC, but that was the only time I went to one of those ones. Like the, the super, that's where I saw Bad Brains too. They played like one and a half songs, but then the show got shut down or whatever too. So, um, why did it get, why did it get shut down? Well, actually during Agnostic Front, I didn't see it happen, but apparently, I mean, you know, the element that comes sometimes when bands like that play and when there's a big show like that, there was some skinheads there and somebody got stabbed. I don't know if a skinhead stabbed somebody or somebody stabbed one of the skinheads, but um, somebody got stabbed during their, and this is what I heard. I don't, you know, I didn't book the show, but somebody said that somebody had gotten stabbed during their set. And then during Bad Brain's set, they'd only played like one and a half, maybe two and a half songs. And all of a sudden, like two cops start strolling across the stage and naturally everybody's giving them the finger and booing and like thinking it's a joke at first, but then all of a sudden somebody grabs the mic and they're like, yeah, the show's over. And everybody started going outside. Yeah. I can't remember if it was that show or the, or the Madball show that I saw there, but there was definitely like on the way outside, I saw like two or three fights too, you know, but there, we went down there when Madball first got back together in like 2003 with like Madball, Blood for Blood and a couple other bands. And and I can't remember. There's fights at that show too, so I can't remember which one it was. But I was leaving one of those two shows, and there was just like ridiculous fights. You know what I mean? Like just like brawls, yeah, like you know. So yeah, and that yeah. and that and that's I don't, I mean I don't go to as many shows now, but I feel like the violence has definitely toned down uh, since then. You know. Yeah, I guess you know for better or for worse. I guess depending on your outlook, you know. Um, I think, yeah, right. I think it's for the better. I mean, you know, I think, I mean, I think maybe this, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, the hardcore kids still have a lot to be mad about, you know what I mean, these days. But um, I just think maybe the mentality is a little bit different. I mean, I'm sure it probably depends on what kind of show shows you go to, because there's so many little subgenres of hardcore nowadays, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, I mean, at least the stuff I seen, I see, you know, like the kids are, they, there's, you know, 
there's some unity going on. You know, kids want to, there's, they're putting up with enough fucking bullshit out there these days. Like, you know, I think hardcore is probably the last place they, you know, it's, it's their shelter. You know what I mean? It's the place they want to come to, to, you know, to get out, you know, of, of the bullshit that they're putting up with in society, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So one thing you would kind of mention to me when we were prepping for the interview that I didn't realize is that you would, you would put a rec- couple records out too. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that, I guess. Okay. Um, I mean, that was just a, you know, just a thing just to help out friends. I mean, um, it was this label called Stagnant Records Coalition. I put out one record for Coalition, and I put out another record for Detroit Birds. Uh, Detroit Birds, excuse me, um, which I did. It was me and Ryan Mills who sang in Detroit uh, Diamonds, and he also sang in this other band called Strange Bills, which, oh, I may not have mentioned. I, I probably forgot about that band when, when we were talking, you know, um, uh, but yeah, Strange Fills was another band I played bass for. Um, I was not an original member, um, but I joined just because I was friends with those guys. Um, they were just another Detroit band. It was, you know, members of like Detroit Birds and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I started playing bass for them, I think on their third show or something. They only played like about half a dozen shows, but um, me and Ryan, we co-put out um, the Detroit Birds record. But with the Coalition record, yeah, they had this, they recorded like eight songs or something. And two of the songs were put out on a split release that they did with Holding On, that Martyr Records put out. And um, then they had just these other like six songs that were just sitting there, you know what I mean? And they had burned me a copy of the recording session and I liked some of the, I really, really like loved some of the songs. So I was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll put out some of these songs for you guys. You know what I mean? So I just pressed up, you know, like 500 records, you know, worked a bunch of extra hours and, you know, saved up and then, you know, put the record out, you know what I mean? And that was in 2003. Um, and they ended up uh, selling a good portion of them on, the tour they did, I think they did a West Coast tour with Down to Nothing or One Up. I get confused a little bit with who they went out with because I, I wasn't really, I wasn't playing with that and I wasn't playing with them at that time. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, I was roading for them a bunch around that era and I booked a bunch of shows for them as well. I booked their first show, you know, um, as well too. Um, so, yeah. So, um, yeah, they ended up selling a bunch of those records, but they did this thing where they made photocopy covers of like limited edition, you know, quote unquote limited edition, but you know, each, it was like 10 or something. So, you know, some kids, you know, that were vinyl addicts would just buy all 10 different covers, you know what I mean? But one of them was, um, was a picture of when we played that show that you booked that was with one up and desperate measures and i wrote it for coalition at that show and that was the show that uh that porcel you know came out to um because he uh had just signed coalition to his uh label fight fire with fire and i think he had either just put out their first lp um breaking point or was like just about to put it out and that's the reason that he came out to that show was because of coalition but uh yeah i don't know if you want to 
Well, he did a Project Jump X in. song that night too. I remember. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. Now, yeah. with Coalition, was it with Coalition that he yeah. did that with, or okay? Yeah. The show, the the tour you were referencing before too with Coalition. I want to say that was with One Up and Down to Nothing because I booked a show here in July of 2003, but it was it was Stay Gold, Down to Nothing, uh, One Up. I guess Coalition must have been. I have the flyer upstairs. But half those bands canceled. Uh, Down to Nothing never showed bad. up. And then I think Stay Gold yeah. either dropped off the tour or... Oh, that's too bad. I don't know what happened to them. But I know one-up played. So Coalition probably cool, did, man. too. You know? Right on. It would make sense, yeah. There was yeah. definitely... Yeah, that, that would make sense, yeah. yeah. That, that was the truth. I guess you'll find out soon when you talk to, um, you know, yeah. talk to those dudes, you know? So Johnny that's and Greg. When I do the interview, I, I got, I'm going to pull some more flyers out to make sure I'm a little more better prepared to talk about that show, I guess. I, I forgot you, <laughs> you played in those bands, too. So, But I guess that's what we'll get into. Like you, you mentioned uh, kind of when we took our break there, you, you kind of have, have referenced some of these bands. So a few of them maybe we'll kind of talk about quickly, but some of them uh, maybe not so much. Uh, so you, you've obviously, in addition to the bands we talked about before that you actually played and you've also uh, filled in for and, and you know been a member of some of these other bands, too. So we'll kind of go in order, I guess, of the, the way you sent them to me. Um, You've mentioned Varsity a couple times, and I'm I'm curious because uh, I guess we'll talk about you rooting for them and playing for them at the same time. It kind of makes sense, I think, right? Um, you mentioned rooting for them and, and being in a lot of their out-of-town shows. I don't know if you remember this, but they played here uh, in 99 or maybe 98 at RIT. I don't know if you would have been at that show with them. I don't even think you and I knew each other then. No, yeah, I, I probably had moved away at that point. You know, okay. so I moved to Flo- I moved to Florida for a year in '99 to like 2000. So yeah, that was probably was that the because they did like a No Justice tour. Was it with Blood Pact or something? Yeah, or okay, yeah, that? Blood Pact and them. Yeah, Blood Pact had like yeah, they, some shit on sale. I think at that show or some weird shit. <laughs> that's it. Forget something that's like it. that. You know. You're right. 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 Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Blood Pack and Varsity, they did a split LP that plus minus records, yeah. but, uh, which is run with, you know, which is run by Andy Demps. Yep. Um, you, you know, um, uh, a legend, you know, Detroit hardcore legend in his own right. Um, you know, played in earth mover, um, you know, obviously ran plus minus records and then sang in blood Pact as well. Um, yeah, you know, obviously plus minus put out the first, coldest life record as well too you know they put out the earth mover records you know what i mean so and a bunch of other ill you know detroit hardcore bands like tank and you know trifin and stuff like that so um but yeah i'm sorry i, lo- I think i lost track of what, what what we were talking oh varsity or yeah, what, what, wait, yeah what? well there was a show but it sounds like you weren't there but oh. but, what, but more like roadie and, and playing with them i guess like the experiences there and any, anything stands out there memory wise with that with those guys yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, those were my brothers, you know what I mean? So it was amazing to be a part of that and to be able to witness that. Um, I mean, you know, um, you know, I was their main roadie, you know, I played my first show with them. Um, one thing that pops to mind that I haven't brought up is the West Coast tour we did, which was, you know, their last tour. They had decided to break up already. Um, they were supposed to put out this record called Can't Escape the Truth that Underestimated Records was supposed to put out. It never ended up getting released. I'm not exactly sure why, but they did that West Coast tour to support that record, even though it wasn't out at that time. Like, there was posters and stuff like that for the record, you know? Like, we met up with Anton 
you know, who ran underestimated records in Chicago because we that was like on our way out to the West Coast. And I think we played a show there. I can't remember if we just stopped on the way, but um, you know, so there were posters and stuff, you know, there were shirts and stuff, you know. I don't know that that record it was ill though. Like, you know, I, I had a, a copy of it and it was it, it was a really good record. It's I, I I heard someone told me that you could hear it on Spotify now. So, you know, anybody out there can probably check it out. But um uh yeah, I was definitely bummed at that time that that record didn't end up coming out. Um but uh yeah, just because I loved it so much, you know. But um yeah, that West Coast tour was memorable. Um I think that was my first like real tour. You know, because I mean when I went out with Coldest Life, we just went to New York and they were mixing Born to Land Hard. And then they played one show with um with Hatebreed and Scarhead. That that was, you know, that was it. We were just basically in upstate New York, like Troy Albany the entire time. You know what I mean? So um that varsity tour, you know, we did the whole West Coast. We went, you know, from San Diego all the way up to Seattle. You know what I mean? And you know, I met a bunch of people on that tour, of course, you know, like all the, you know, homies from Champion, like Chris Williams, you know, and um bunch of ill cats in California. I mean, we played a couple shows with Nerve Agents. Um, we did this show that was the Days of the White Owl record release show. Um, you know, that was cool. Um, and then we played this crazy place in Santa Cruz that was sick. Like, there was hundreds of people there. Like, and, you know, there was, like, Harry Krishnas and, like, all kinds of kids there. And I was just like, damn, this is this this place is cool. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Nerve Agents played that show, which obviously that's why there were so many people there. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, that was a really cool show. I'm trying to think, you know, yeah, we played this this place called the PCH Club, that was in you know uh, like you know some place in Los Angeles, you know. But um, there was all kinds of heads there, you know, like uh, you know Dave from the Suicide File who was singing in No Reply. He was at that show. You know, dudes like uh, Ben, who does um, Ben Edge, you know, who's singing Fields of Fire. You know, he does that um, West Coast podcast that Zach from Oxnard does, um, 185 Miles South. You know, he's a, he's a regular guest on that, Ben Edge, you know. Um, and I did a tour with Fields of Fire as well, too, where I played bass for Life's That Struggle. I filled in uh, for Life's That Struggle on this 2002 tour that we did with uh, Fields of Fire and In Control. And that was an East Coast tour. You know, um, Life's That Struggle was a uh, Toledo, Detroit band. Uh, Matt uh, Stimpy, uh, who sang in varsity, he played guitar in Life's That Struggle. And then Sikander Khan, who is Haroon's brother, um, sang in Life's That Struggle. You know, they were like a thrash, like skate punk band. Yeah, yeah, that PCA show, there wasn't that many people there, but, you know, it was a bunch of cool kids there. And then we also played this other ill show, too, with Carry On at Headline Records. That was the era of right when um, the Roll With The Punches 7-Inch came out, when Todd Jones, you know, had just joined the band. And, um, you know, that 7-Inch had just come out. So, you know, Carry On was, you know, I, I, I don't want to say they were... Pop, you know just popping off because you know the line is drawn seven inch has come out and you know they 
you know, they had already had a couple seven, a couple seven inches coming out of that by that point. But, you know, obviously they already had some kind of following at that point, but you know, they were about to reach another level with Todd in the band, you know what I mean? So um, that show was definitely very, very memorable. Definitely some other shows too, but you know, I can't, you know, meeting like Andy diehard youth, you know, on that tour, you know, in Bakersfield playing this weird like pizza place that Weezer had played like the week before or whatever, you know what I mean? So yeah, I think that's, you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of other shows, but I just can't, I, I can't think of any other other ones on that tour at that point, at this point. I mean, I never realized varsity did all that, you know, like I always just assumed they were like a weekend type band that just kind of did some stuff. You know what I mean? Like Detroit, Chicago, Rochester, like type stuff. Yeah, they were, I mean, they were pretty active. I mean, you know, they were, you know, Detroit at that time, you know, the scene was a little bit more metalcore is a little bit more political, hardcore. And, you know, they were kind of one of the first bands that were playing more of that old school style, you know, like, you know, 87 Youth Crew kind of style, hardcore, you know what I mean? Um, that was, I guess you could say popular on some, some level at that time, you know what I mean? Like, you know, because that was like the floor punch tenor fight, you know, in my eyes era, you know what yeah. I mean? So when they, when the whole Youth Crew revival was happening, you know what I mean? So you know, varsity was, you know, was in that wave, you know what I mean? But uh, obviously they were influenced by those bands, but I mean, they were in Detroit, so they were kind of sectioned off, you know, the Midwest is weird, you know, it's not like the East coast where, um, you know, there's, you know, like kind of a popping off city that's, you know, an hour away from each other, like Philadelphia or like New Jersey or New York or Boston or whatever, Connecticut, you know, all those, all those cities where they're just, you know, a handful of hours from each other, you know what I mean? Where kids can kind of just travel and you know make the shows fucking happen you know what i mean so but you know that's just that midwest life baby did varsity ever play with like coldest life or anything or not really not that i can not that i can recall i mean coldest life they were kind of doing they they were almost like a different scene because they would play like the i don't want to say more tough guy shows but you know they were i mean obviously a different generation I mean, they would play shows with Earth Mover, you know, they would, like, I remember one notable show uh, that was an early local show that I went to, um, that was all local bands that, like, this band called Universal Stomp played, who were sick, um, this other band called Placenta, which was Mike Cools, you know, that played in Cold's Life and, you know, like, you know, ended up playing in, like, Sworn Enemy and Cro-Mags, you know, stuff like that, you know, um, that was one of his earlier bands. And then this other band, that was a sick band. I love them. They were short-lived. They did put out a record, but they were called Underground Underground Disciples. Like U-N-D-A, you know what I mean? You would probably into this because they had a hip-hop influence. Okay, so they had two singers. You know, so they were like kind of, I don't want to say they were rap core, but, you know, they were like hardcore and then they would kind of rap. When they would when they would play you know yeah and uh, i i remember them be, them being sick and you know cold as life played that show as well too so that was like a, an early like kind of local show that i went to that was memorable you know jumping back to you know way earlier yeah. in this conversation yeah it, it's hard to to blend uh like hip-hop and rap with hardcore very few have done it like and got kept my attention i think madball is like the best example you know like his he doesn't really rap, but you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like that sometimes, you know? They definitely have that influence for sure. You know, that's, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. And then, like, like Cold World doesn't really, I mean, they have the interludes, but, like, they they more, like, throw in, like, if you listen to rap, like, references. You know what I mean? Like, 
So that was always cool to me, but like, I can't think, Oh, biohazard too, obviously they're, they're, they're probably a good example of a band that can like do like the rap and hardcore thing. Good. You know, but a lot of bands, I'll say one, I hope I don't get beat up for saying it, but like uh fury of five, I, I hear them. Okay. We got top 50 Uh-oh. breakdowns coming up on this podcast soon too. And I'm like, <laughs> they got some hard breakdowns, but those fucking vocals, my goodness. Sometimes it's like, I don't know if he's rapping or singing or what the fuck he's doing, but I'm just like, I don't know, man. Some of those bands, it's a little too much at times, you know? Maybe, maybe it's a combination of both, but uh, of rapping and singing, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. yeah, I think another band that I think pulled it off well that doesn't really get recognized too much is uh, Fahrenheit 451. Did you yeah. ever fuck with them? Not really. Yeah, because they cut. They were sick. I mean, the singer Armando, he kind of would rap a little bit. I think he was like, I don't know. He he was definitely some kind of mix, but I don't know if he was like Puerto Rican and black or or what. But uh, you know, he would kind of rap, and then they had the the two guitar players would kind of sing and like a kind of like a post hardcore you know kind of style. So it was a it was an interesting um, little combination. I, they were they were definitely one of my favorite bands from that early like you know era of me being into like New York hardcore. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, I was I definitely fuck with them. Yeah, the only other, especially for New York band, I can think of that does that really well. Uh, before we jump into talking about bands that that don't have any any influence from rapcore at all, is uh, a District Nine from uh, New York City. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. District Nine, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has some good, some totally, good like rap in the parts or whatever yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now one thing you kind of threw me for a loop for when you were starting to tell me about all the bands you played for is is, and I'm guessing this was just like one show where you got up there and play with them. But but how'd you end up playing with uh, Poison the Well? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. That was when I, you know, I, well, like I said, I lived in Florida for a year, you know, I moved down there from 99 to 2000 and I just became homies with them, you know, and I was supposed to play guitar with them on a tour. Um, and we ended up practicing and I ended up learning the songs and then I, I ended up moving back to Detroit and I didn't end up doing the tour with them. And then they came through like right after. And then, you know, I just jumped on stage with them and played a song with them. You know what I mean? Just because we were friends. Did you, did you like, did you, do you know how to play like the opposite of December, like stuff on that album or is it before that? It was like that era? Yeah. It, yeah. It was that era. Opposite of December. Yeah. That record had just come out. I was at that record release show in Florida when, when that record came out. That's crazy. I'm not as into like that style of hardcore, but like, I, I love, I love that album. Like that's a, that's a perfect album, like from start to finish, you know? Um, yeah. It's a really good record. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a really strange, like coincidental time to be living down there. Cause like they had a, a really interesting scene, obviously more metalcore influence, but I mean, that, that dude from dashboard confessional was popping off. You know what I mean? Newfound glory had just signed to a major, you know, Chad was hanging around all the time. You know, we were going to diners and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, like it was just an interesting time to be living down there, especially with Poison Well and, you know, the opposite of December just coming out and then everything that that band would end up achieving. You know what I mean? So, yeah, which is awesome. You know what I mean? So, yeah, those guys were super cool, man. Super sweethearts. Like, I mean, you know, I was in a bind one time and like their drummer, Chris, like really, really looked out for me, man. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget it, man. You know and I mean? Obviously Derek was super cool. You know, he would end up going to play in uh, sleigh bells, you know what I mean? So um, Derek, you know, was an awesome guy, you know what I mean? And uh, 
you know, Jeffrey, the singer was, is, was super cool. And Ryan, um, who was ironically not in the band at the time, opposite of December came out, he was an original member of, of Poison the Well. And then he went on, he went, he went to join Where Fear and Weapons Meet, you know, and like left Poison the Well, and then he came back. So he was, kind, he's kind of been like the only guy that was the original member in the band. But, you know, I would, you know, see him around like he was, uh, you know, doing sound for Sleigh Bells and stuff like that. And, you know, I would see him when Poison the Well would come through Detroit and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously a super cool dude. Yeah, I would say that Opposite of December is probably, for that style of music, one of the most influential albums because, like, there weren't that many bands doing that before and think about how many bands started doing that afterwards you know it, that that style like exploded after that you know like, yeah yeah definitely bands. yeah it's i yeah it's ironic because it's like you know the way i see it is like okay like there was culture and like morning again you know what i mean which kind of ushered in that sound in florida but those bands were influenced by unbroken you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what John Wiley, like, told me or whatever. You know, he was, or maybe it was Rich Thurston or whatever. Like, you know, he they were just saying, like, oh, we just wanted to sound like Unbroken. You know what I mean? So they kind of, you know, I, you know, quote, unquote, borrowed Unbroken sound, even though I, I think Culture and Morning have their own sound, you know what I mean? But they were influenced by Unbroken. And then, you know, those bands kind of influenced the next generation, which was like Poison the Well. You know what I mean? And then obviously, you know, like you were saying, Poison the Well influenced all the bands that kind of sound like that style, or at least kind of, you know, made that shit kind of pop off or whatever. I mean, there's a few bands you could point to like that, but like that's, I mean, that's the one that I think of that came out of like, like straight hardcore. Like there's bands like The Bled and stuff like that too, but I feel like they're more like, you know, I don't, I don't know those guys personally, but I feel like they more came from like a, not as much of a hardcore thing. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, but like you think of Poison Wild as like actually like hardcore kids and stuff, and then they they like, you know, became this like crazy influential. They probably don't look at it like that, you know, but it's it's true, you know. So yeah, I mean, yeah, those dudes were you know tried and true hardcore, you know. What I mean, like Florida was weird. It was interesting because I mean, you know, it's kind of like the Midwest, you know, or where it's kind of sectioned off, you know what I mean? Because like, you know, that was that was South Florida. You know what I mean? So, like, if you wanted to get down there from somewhere, you would have to drive. It was 12 hours to get out of that state. You know what I mean? So, you know, they kind of had their own thing going on. But, you know, they're trying to true hardcore kids. Like, you know, they were going to each other's shows. They were booking shows, you know. Like, you know, like, they, you know, like, you know, hardcore, you know, obviously, you know, it isn't always necessarily about a sound. It's about a spirit. You know what I'm saying? So... Yeah, and that kind of goes back with what you were just saying with with John Wiley there saying about people borrowing sounds and stuff is is the sound may change and it it may be influenced by this and that, but it's it's the it's the the ethics and the the passion behind it that's really what's the driving point, you know. Yeah, exactly. Now, I think you were kind of telling me about about touring with Life Set Struggle, but was there anything more that you want to add to that or any interesting shows that stand out from that tour? I mean, obviously that tour was buck. Excuse me, that tour was buck wild because those dudes and in control, especially Ryan, their singer, those guys are crazy and and the best way possible. You know what I mean? Like I love those guys. Like, um, like Ryan, he's like a California surfer dude, and so everywhere we went, he was barefoot. You know, like we'd be walking around the city, and he would be barefoot. You know what I mean? Like. He'd be, they'd be lighting off firecrackers everywhere. 
Um, one memorable show, though, um, was we played at, at uh, home base where Posifest took place, okay? Mm-hmm. But Bob Mack, uh, I guess, you know, like you and I know, you can get burnt out on doing shows. You know, like anybody, he, I guess, had booked the show, but then I guess didn't promote it or... I, I, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't responsible for, you know, uh, you know, dealing with any of the promoters, you know what I mean? But I, I'm pretty sure Ben from Fields of Fire booked that entire tour. So I remember him kind of saying like, oh, I guess Bob, you know, like booked the show and then decided not to do it. And then like, you know, Ben was like, yo, we need the show. Like we're, we're, we're on our way there. You know what I mean? So Bob was like, you know, kind of, you know, dragged his feet and put the show together. And so nobody came out, you know what I mean? There was like five people there, but two of the guys were like Oxnard, Oxnard heads. So they like dressed up in all like Oxnard stuff and like, you know, had their had the flip up bills, you know what I mean? And they had the Oxnard logos on their hands, you know, the circle with the X. And, you know, home base, home base is a decent size. You know, it's, I would say, what, what do you think? Like 600 capacity, 500, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And with, five people being there it was super fucking empty and so in control and fields of fire or just like whatever and they tore that place apart okay they were just throwing chairs everywhere they were tearing stuff off the walls like while while license struggle was playing okay you know because i think they were just like irritated like that like yo what the fuck like we drove here all the way from fucking california and you fucking did us like that you know what i mean so those guys went fucking buck wild. They wrapped Sikander, our singer, in a, a, a wrestling mat and picked him up and threw him off the stage, dude, while we were playing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, that was that was probably the most memorable show on that on that tour. You know, was there really zero paying people there then? I mean, maybe three or four. I, like I said five max you know what i mean so i I booked a couple really low turnout shows one even like maybe 10 years ago i booked where there was i had i just had to cancel on the show because there was literally two people maybe three there was like two or three people there and eventually the owner was just like let's just let's just shut it down or whatever you know i was like who who was it what what show was it actually i think it was a band from ohio and they're a good band too i want to say harvey peaker harvey pecker p-e-k-a-r i forget how you pronounce it but it's it's a guy from ohio i think and, and they just use his name as their band name they, they're in another band too I, i'll send you the link later but this is like 10 years ago i don't even know if they're still around now but it was just one of those things Wait, where I put those... Har- Har- harvey Picar. Picar, Picar, maybe P-E-K-A-R. oh it's like a he's a comic book artist right comic book artist yeah i thought i thought he was either like a writer or an artist i'm not sure one of the two but that's their that's their band I- name Gotcha. I, I could be wrong, but they, yeah. that kind of name kind of rings a bell. Is this the guy who did American Splendor? I think that is the dude, yeah, because I've seen that movie once okay. a while back, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. So, so they, well, you'd know more about that, obviously, than I would, any of that kind of stuff, but um, they um, they were nice, and I forget what the, another band they were in, but a, a band from Buffalo that, that Jeremy Smith was in, Old Ghosts, um, he had hit me to those guys because I had put them on with Old Ghosts on a show, but then I don't even know if Old Ghost was on this show, but it was it was just like middle of summer in Rochester and nobody really comes to shows here then. And then there wasn't any, I forget who I had for a local band, if any, but it was just like, 
there was nobody there. Like literally like, like two of my friends showed up and I was just like, yeah, let's just call this one. You know, like I did a few shows before where, where there was like 20 people there and we still did the show. But this time it was like, even like, I, I think the band felt bad. Cause at one point I walked by and they said some shit, like they didn't realize I was walking by and then the, the drummer like said something to the singer. He was like, yeah, he was like, Oh, what the fuck is this tonight? Or some shit like that. And it was just like, I think I gave them like it happens. In my pocket. Yeah, I, I gave him some gas money. Yeah, right, right on. That's cool, of you man. That's cool, of you. Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I had one show like that as well too. That happened at Refuge Skate Shop. Uh, I booked a show for my friend Rich, who sang in this band called Fearless Vampire Killers. Uh, they're from Washington D.C. And I mean, sometimes you just promote and nobody comes out. I mean, it's just the way it is, dude. Do you know what I mean? Like two people came out for the show. I mean. What can you do? You know what I mean? It's just, it's just how it goes sometimes, you know? Yeah. When we were doing that, that show space that one up played with the, where, where uh, Porcel came out that night too. Uh, there was a lot of shows there where it was, it was a pretty, pretty bad turn. I mean, that was kind of a rough neighborhood anyways. It was actually, it wasn't too far from where I live right now. Just like the other side of that neighborhood though. But like, that's kind of one of our pockets in Rochester where you don't really want to be at night. And that's where we had the show space. Um, and like, now I think Rochester could probably sustain like weekly or like bi-weekly hardcore shows. But back then, like we didn't have a big enough scene to where you could just like throw like, 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 like random, like touring bands on a Tuesday night type thing. You know, like it was just, I, I, I booked, uh, what's that band? The Red Chord. I booked them and a few other bands. And, and, and that night there was like maybe 20 or 30 people there, you know? And it's like, that okay. should have drawn more than that though, you know, but it was just like, we had so many shows going on that it was just, like they weren't people weren't going to go to every show you know yeah yeah, yeah. So, you're you were just you know you're booking too many good shows man people couldn't make them to all of them you know yeah, what i mean <laughs> pick and choose but sometimes yeah, yeah. your wallet ends up picking and choosing too yeah um, <laughs> you're you're talking about your wallet it's my wallet yes, <laughs> yeah. I, I took a lot of yeah. as, as, the, as the promoter you know yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah so i think you kind of mentioned the final plan story when we were talking about in the red uh with uh everything that happened there that transpired to, to lead you to playing in the red pretty much. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's just, to, just to dive into that a little bit more. I mean, that U S tour was insane. Okay. That was probably the craziest tour I ever went on just because like those, those motherfuckers in Cleveland, there is something in the water. Okay. Like, I, I mean, granted my luck is from Texas, you know what I'm saying? But Cliff, their singer is from Cleveland. You know what I mean? Yeah. So those dudes, that was just a wild tour. I mean, we started our first show was at Posse Numbers in Wilkes Bear, and then we ended on the West Coast. Oh, I don't remember where it was, but I remember it not being good because we didn't even play our last show. We canceled our last show because I think it was supposed to be in like Seattle, and by that, by that point, everybody was just burnt out, and we drove straight home. Okay, from from where wherever we were in California, it was somewhere like Northern California. And I remember it took me like, cause I, those guys all stopped in Cleveland, but I had to go back to Detroit, which was an extra three hours. And I remember it being like, cause we drove nonstop. We only stopped to pee and we would like eat some food. And then that was it, you know? So I remember my drive. I remember it being something like 56 hours or something like straight. Okay. You know, that was how we ended the tour after being on tour for a month. All right. And, uh, but I, I do want to bring up one kind of memorable show on that tour. 
it's kind of a shit talking show, not on my end. And I, I don't want to diss anybody, you know what I mean? But it was crazy though, what had happened. That's why I want to kind of mention this. Okay. Um, we were playing at the Ojai women's center and um, I think we played within control at that show. And, you know, by that time I was homies with the in control guys. Cause you know, from that life that struggle tour, you know, that happened in 02 or I mean, in 01. And the final plan tour was in 02, okay? And so in on that In Control Fields of Fire tour, pretty much nobody was coming out to see us, okay? And then I played with In Control a couple times at, in Ojai, which is right by Oxnard, and hundreds of kids would come see them. You know what I mean? The place was fucking packed. You know what I'm saying? So it was it kind of blew my mind because, you know, I had that perspective of nobody coming to see In Control on that tour, and then everybody come to see in, in control. You know what I mean? So on that show, um, there was, you know, hundreds of kids there. And uh, during my luck set, you know, I was up front, you know, getting my skank on. And they had some beef with this guy named Sharky, who had played guitar in Final Plan at one point. He was like a Philadelphia dude. And he moved to Cleveland to play in like Nine Shocks Terror or something or like Hate 100s or something. And then he also ended up playing in Final Plan too, okay? So something happened. I don't know what the beef was, but while Maya Luck was playing, Sharky came, was at, randomly at the show. He came up to the front of the stage and drank a beer and then spit it in Cliff's face while my look was playing cliff their singer okay and cliff immediately without even like flinching jumped off the stage and started wailing this dude in the face and my look saw what was going on and they all stopped playing and start and they basically just like jumped this dude you know what i mean and like beat him up sharky took off my look jumped back on stage and, like, they, when the fight was going on, everyone was like, what the fuck? Like, the entire place just, like, stopped because it happened so quickly. You know what I mean? And Mila jumped back on, started playing, and, like, the, the entire place was so, like, I don't know, the energy was, like, there from just, like, witnessing what just happened. The entire room started circle pitting, you know, while Mila started playing, dude. And it was, like, that was one of the craziest things I had seen, dude. You know what I mean? So... I just wanted to mention that because that was kind of like a, a crazy thing to witness on that, you know, my Luck final plan tour. I, I should also mention something else too, while we're talking about Cliff and crazy things that have happened while they've been playing. Okay. Um, I also played this show. I was playing in strange pills at that time. I, it, that was actually, this is actually my first show playing with strange pills. And we played at the show at this place called the Modern Exchange, which was uh, Downriver in Michigan, okay? This area called Downriver. And um, it was a Razzle Dazzle five-inch record release show. And Milo came up from Texas. I don't know if they were touring or what. But during their set, okay, uh, Cliff and Wade from Iron Age, who was playing guitar for Milo at that time, you know, were partaking and some things you know and uh, oh i'm sorry no no wade was not playing in my look at the time he just rode for them and they were partaking in some things and while my look was playing cliff and wade decided to get into a razor blade fight 
for fun. Okay. So they were just cutting each other up while they were playing, dude. You know, we ended up having to take them both to the emergency room after the show to get checked out. But that was a notorious thing that, that I had witnessed. And, you know, it's kind of in the annals of, uh, of notoriety. I booked a My Luck show. I don't remember if they were on tour with anybody at the time. But I remember thinking, because I, I had known, like, about Cliff kind of had a notoriety at that point of being kind of nuts or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, what's going to happen? <laughs> I had, it was like a yeah. weird show. It wasn't like, it was like a, my friend Ben from Buffalo, his band Project Grizzly, which is more of like a grind band. But he was like a drunk at the time and he would do like really crazy shit. So I was like, this is going to be a really weird mix. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen tonight, you know, but nothing did. It wasn't, it was really anticlimactic or whatever the fuck. But I, 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 I know of that dude's reputation that he was definitely crazy back then. So I was expecting a lot more, you know. I mean, he's, you know, he's an OG Cleveland dude. So, I mean, he's got that, you know, influence of, you know, Dwid and like One Life Crew in his blood. You know what I'm saying? So. Tony Erba. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly, dude. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy, yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy motherfuckers there. Yeah, like I said, there's there's something in the water in Cleveland, man. You know what I mean? Definitely. Any other uh, stand-up memories from that tour, or mainly mainly that that stuff? Yeah, yeah, I can't really think. I can't really recall anything else. You know? Yeah. How, like, when 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 did you play in Desperate Measures? Was that for a tour, or just a couple shows here and there? Okay, yeah. So with Desperate Measures, you know, yeah, I did a tour with them. I think they were going to, they call me a DM man, you know what I mean? And I probably would have ended up playing in that band, but I was doing In the Red at that time, you know what I mean? So with Desperate Measures, I just did a West Coast tour with them. Um, it was with uh, Striking Distance and also with Far From Breaking. Um, probably my favorite tour that I've ever been on. I mean, every show was good on that tour, you know, like at least a couple hundred kids at like pretty much every show. And it was just a fun tour. I mean, striking distance, far from breaking, desperate measures. Like, we had a fucking blast, man. You know, so. Yeah, desperate measures always brought it. I, I definitely did a few shows for them here and saw them a bunch of times. Okay. This is, I mean, they played a few of those posy numbers in a row too. You know, uh, I, I love that. Uh, I forget what that seven inch is called. It's on your hands or whatever. That's that's a really a really classic seven inch now. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like I like that LP a lot too. No, oh, yeah, the LP was time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Now that's what I was going to ask you, Alex. Uh, jumping into Coalition a little bit, Alex played him. Who played him? Uh, varsity. He played in Coalition. That's the dude who sang for Coalition. He also played in Varsity, right? Um. Okay. Yeah, Alex. No, he. Yeah, he. Yeah, he played in Varsity. He was a guitar player, and then he played guitar in Coalition. And okay. I'm pretty sure he wrote all of the songs for okay. Coalition as well too. He was their know. main songwriter. I don't know why I thought he sang for them, but I, I do remember him playing guitar now that you mentioned it, though, yeah. No, that's who I would keep in contact with when I would book their band and stuff, I feel like, before before you were in the band. I probably would have just talked to you at that point, but either way. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, Alex was kind of like the main, like, uh, machine in that band. You know, he was kind of the dude that was running that that program. Um, yeah, the guy who sang in that band was just, is my homie, uh, Dan Sluka, who I am still friends with to this day. He also sang in Jailbreak. Now, how did you – obviously, I can just imagine roading for them. Is that how the transition just for you, for you playing in the band happened or – Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, Bar, you know, Coalition in a way was like Varsity, ver, you know, version two. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I was like 
you know, their main go-to dude. You know, I was basically their, their sixth man. You know what I mean? Like I roadied for them. I booked, you know, their first show, you know, I booked a bunch of other shows for them. You know, I put out a record for them, you know, and then I played guitar for them the last year that they were a band. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I booked them a couple of times. So, but you, you weren't, so you wouldn't, you must've joined the band right after that, uh, that show here you would think then right because you weren't you were you were yeah, you, in the band? were you in the band here when i booked that the show? no i yeah I, I wasn't you know i just wrote it for them on that trip you know um but did did you book this one show that we i remember playing upstate new york one time with coalition and we played with blue monday did you book that show it was in like yeah, a goat. i might have still been here maybe john 25 booked it or it might have been like okay. a, possibly syracuse but I, I think blue monday did play here once though but gotcha, gotcha. I didn't do that though. I, I don't. Rem- I I remember it being somewhere in upstate New York. It may not have been in Rochester, but uh, it was in like a garage somewhere, like during the oh, summer. Oh, Pat Stefano's garage, probably, dude. I wonder if that's okay. that. Okay. I was working okay. a lot then, so I missed a few a few shows, and I think I think that I'd have to ask him. Did uh, either Can I Say or Dead Hearts or one of those bands play too, or no? I don't really remember. Uh, yeah, I can't really recall. That was at his. I know there was a couple shows at his house, though. And that might be one of the ones. But, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't do that though, and I wasn't there for it, unfortunately. But gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, so we're kind of doing like more like rapid fire with some of these because we've been kind of chatting. Yeah. For yeah. I got the yeah, yeah. Go for it. Go for it, man. Yeah. yeah. Morning sure. shift, sure. but you were kind of talking about Detroit birds earlier a little bit. And I think that led into another band, but was there anything else uh, with playing for them or anything that we didn't already talk about? No, I mean, you know, I only played a handful of shows with Detroit birds. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, Detroit birds was like a posse and Detroit, but they were also a band. Um, you know, um, one time I was at a posse numbers and, uh, uh, my friend Dennis was like, damn, dude, you, you, you know, you got you Detroit dudes, you know, are traveling all the time for shows, you know, and I was like, you know, Detroit birds, you heard, you know, and then, you know, it just kind of stuck. And then, um, you know, so it was just a group of friends. And then that also ended up taking on that name for a band. Um, they were around for a handful of years. I only played a few shows with them. I was basically just filling in for uh, my homie Chris Taylor, who is their regular bass player. Um, one notable show that we played was uh, we played in Wilkes-Barre with uh, Cold World and War Hungry, and uh, that show was popping off. And I believe that was the only show that Detroit Birds played out of state. And I actually was the reason for that because I, uh, our friend Mook, who played in War Hungry, you know, I was just about me and Ryan were just about to put out the Detroit Birds record. And I wanted to get a little bit of out-of-state exposure. So I booked us uh, a show at that, that Wilkes-Barre show. And then I also flew me and Ryan out to California just to help promote the record. Just, just to get a little, just, you know, just to help spread the word. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, that, that, was, that was a pretty memorable show playing in Wilkes-Barre with uh, Cold World and uh, War Hungry. Now you talking about Wilkes-Barre too. It makes me wonder, like, is there any other connection between the Detroit and Wilkes-Barre scenes aside from the dude who plays guitar uh, in Cold World? That that's oh, what's the other? I'm I'm drawing a blank on the the other the band the other band he was in too or is in. Um, yeah. Okay. So that that was Haroon. The deal with that, how that kind of ended up happening, was that Will and Haroon, the two guys that are Razzle Dazzle, they moved to Philadelphia for a year, like uh, in like I think like 2003 or something. 
and then they ended up kind of connecting with the Will Spare homies like Nick Woj and stuff like that, you know, and, you know, Haroon played in like uh, Violent Minds in Philly. And then he also played in Shark Attack, I think, for a little bit as well, too. Um, and then Will ended up, Will, the singer of Razzle Dazzle, um, was, uh, was the guitar player for Cold, not an OG member of Cold World, but he was the second guitar player of the first phase of Cold World before they broke up. You know, I think I, I, at that positive number is maybe where the fight was or something. But, um, and then ironically, you know, the second wave of Cold World after, uh, during the, you know, how the, how the guys chill era, uh, Haroon, the guitar player for Razzle you know, ended up joining Cold World. So it's a little bit ironic that both members of Brass Dazzle both played guitar in Cold World at one point. So that's that connection. Okay. Yeah, because I always wondered if it was just like, you know, it just seemed kind of, I don't know if there's anything more to it than that. And then I guess with Razzle Dazzle, I always thought you were like, because the way you kind of listed the bands for me tonight was you, you mentioned like bands that you wrote music for and then bands that you just kind of like filled in for. I guess I always thought you're more like more of an active member in Razzle Dazzle for longer. Like you only you only filled in with them here and there. Or? No, I mean I technically was a band member. You know what yeah. I mean. But the thing with Razzle Dazzle is, uh, it's really only Will and Haroon. You know what I mean. Like that's kind of how they have that band worked out. And then they get people called what they call Dazzlers to play with them. But I was a I was a main Dazzler. You know, like it, 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 the way I kind of saw it, like it was kind of like you know how Bob Dylan had the band you know, playing with him. That was kind of how I thought it was like, you, you know, the band like Robbie Robertson and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of how I saw it with Razzle Dazzle. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I played with them for three years. I mean, you know, like Razzle Dazzle didn't play that much though. Like it was kind of like Hawkeye where it was just like kind of here and there. You know what I mean? So yeah, that was cool. I mean, you know, we only played locally. So, uh, but we played a lot of good shows. I mean, like I said, that was like right around when the scene was kind of, just picking up you know like around you know 08 in detroit you know what i'm saying where where you could see that there was a change you know what i mean so yeah you know like i said you could say that i was a member but technically i wasn't you know what i mean but you know i played with them straight for three years did you play am i am i am i am i confusing this with another band but did you play cbgb's with that band no no they they did play cbs uh like near the end yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I wasn't playing with them at that point. I, I started playing with them like right after. Yeah. I was at that show. I was at that show though. Yeah. Yeah, it was a cool show. Yeah, it was a little show. Yeah. All, 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 the, all the Detroit homies went out for it. Um, you know, obviously because, you know, to represent for Razzle Dazzle. And then we shot um, the, the video that is popular for them. Um, what is it? Oh, it's the... Uh, I can't remember what the song is called, but it's it's like the Beastie Boys song. Yeah, uh, the, it's the party. It's the, it's the party. You know, you know. I I played the song a bunch of times live, but I can't remember what it's called. But anyways, uh, yeah. So we shot that video all over the course of that weekend, that CBGB's weekend. You know, so um, yeah, it's a fun video. That's is that the only band you've done like videos and stuff for? Or have you done videos with other bands or? I think that's it. Yeah, I can't recall doing any other, you know, videos for any other bands. No, yeah. 
it seems like like i was mentioning this earlier too it seems like that's like more of a common thing with like bands now like like shooting videos and stuff you know like whereas when we were growing up you would only see like a victory band or like sick of it all have a couple of videos you know but now i don't know if it's because of youtube or if it's like more accessible but like it seems like every band has a video now you know yeah it's just so much easier you know what i mean like you know people i mean the equipment is more accessible it's more accessible to just throw it on somewhere and get it seen you know what i mean so you know yeah it's just another you know way that bands can express themselves you know which is awesome yeah yeah definitely so uh i guess you've mentioned the the coldest life thing a few times and, and you mentioned it was just kind of going with them to uh master born to land hard which i, I you know I'm, I, it's kind of hard to gloss over that at this point which with, with how uh many people love that album you know but was there like there was a show with hate breed too that you went with them guys too or yeah okay so that okay that okay I'll, I'll break down how that kind of this whole that whole situation happened so i was you know a young hardcore kid you know i was hanging out at the garden bowl and i had an h2o hoodie hoodie on and dougie their manager and mike cools were there and they saw me and they came up and just started talking to me because and they were like oh we know toby you know from h2o you know what i mean and uh, and then we just became friendly and they asked me right then and there if I wanted to go out on the road with them. And I was like, you know, I love hardcore. But the ironic thing is I didn't know who Cold as Life was at the time. Okay. I had no idea who they were. All right. And I was with a couple people and uh, this, this girl I was with, like that I was friends with, you know, on the way home, she was like, she apparently knew who they were. And she was like, you shouldn't go out with that band. Like, that band is like super ske- super sketchy or whatever, and, you know what I mean? And I was like, you know, I was like, fuck that! Like, I love hardcore, you know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm going out with this band, you know what I mean? Like, having no idea who they were, that they were this like legendary, you know, Detroit hardcore band, you know what I mean? And uh, so yeah, so they they took me out, um, and they were mixing, you know, Born to Land Hard. Um, we were in Albany, you know, uh, Troy, you know, area of New York. Yeah, you gotta you know, there. Oh, I'm sorry, what? No, I was just going to say you got to specify Troy there at that point, that it's Troy, not yeah. Albany. Oh, it's, I'm sorry. Am I, am, I, am, I, am I doing something bad here? No, 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 no. It's Troy's like, the, it's Troy core, like Stigmata and all those bands, like Stigmata. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, so Riley from, you know, we hung out with Riley and all the Stigmata guys the entire time. You know, Riley let us stay at his house, which he has, was leaving because they got, like, infested by rats. So we were just, like, living at this, like, rat-infested place. Yeah, and it was better than nothing, I guess. You know, I, I, you know, I didn't give a fuck, you know, but, uh, yeah, you know, we just hung out and, like, watched movies and, like, went to the studio, you know, watched, like, Goodfellas, Casino, you know, I was there when they recorded all the little uh, uh, movie dialogue things that are on that record. Like they just were, we just went to, to these like two like FSU dudes who they were friends with. We just went to their house and they just like picked out movies, you know, like Cape Fear. And we're like, oh, we want this. You know what I'm saying? Oh, th- this sounds good. You know what I mean? Like right there on the spot. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was an interesting time. I mean, you know, it, I was the young kid. I was probably super annoying to them, you know. Um, they were the older dudes. Here's this new kid who some of them didn't even know, 
Um, like they're going to like mix and master their debut LP after being a band for over a decade. You know what I mean? Here comes this like new kid. So obviously they fucked with me, but it was all in good fun. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they were just like, you know, you know, they, they would fuck with me, but it was like, they would also be really sweet to me as well too. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, so, you know, we hung out with the stigmata dudes the entire time. You know, obviously there was, uh, this one occasion where we went to the second biggest graveyard in America, which is, uh, where uncle Sam is buried. I, I can't remember what their graveyard is called, but, um, all the stigmata dudes and uh, Cold as Life and, you know, some other like Troy, you know, Albany homies, they all took LSD and we walked around the graveyard the entire night. I, I was I was on the verge of being straight edge at the time. I was quitting smoking cigarettes. So, uh, you know, I was quitting. I quit drugs, but I was still smoking cigarettes at the time. But yeah, all those dudes like took acid and then just we just we literally walked around that graveyard from dusk till dawn, you know, while, while they fucking tripped on acid. So that was an interesting evening. Probably smoked a few cigarettes that night. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, man. Yeah. That's crazy. I can't imagine. Um, but yeah, no, those bands, like it's weird because like the kind of shit we were into young, like younger, I, like that kind of shit just kind of like escaped me. Like I, I saw a lot of those bands, but I didn't really get into that kind of music as much until I got older. Like now that I'm older, I love like Stigmata and Cold as Life and stuff like that. But as like a teenager, I don't know, for some reason it was just too hard for me. Um, you keep in touch with like Cold as Life and stuff and like kind of like, do they stay on your radar after that experience or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, became homies with them. I mean, you know, they inducted me, you know, like into like CTYC and shit like that. Um, you know, anytime you know, when that whole kind of beef went down, when Cold was Life, you know, it's hard to talk about, but, you know, when they kind of broke up that second wave, um, you know, I ran into Jeff at a, at the, at the Magic Stick. Um, you know, he was playing some pool, I was playing some pool. And, you know, I was doing a zine at the time. And, you know, he, it was right after, um, the debacle happened i don't know how much people know about that but you know uh and i i feel uncomfortable kind of getting into it you know what i mean but uh yeah so jeff you know saw me and came up to me and you know was, was telling me like you know about what happened and you know he was he was like yo like you know can can i do an interview for your zine you know just to get the word out there and an idiot like i was was like oh i'm not doing that zine anymore but like looking back now it's like dude i will res I, I will resurrect that fucking zine to get that interview like could you imagine having that interview in print now you know what i'm saying but uh and being the person who actually like broke that story to everybody you know what i mean but uh yeah so yeah yeah i kept in touch with those dudes um i'm still homies with dougie um their manager um you know and jeff um just got out of prison um you know after you know, a good stint. Um, but I haven't been able to reconnect with them yet. I'm looking forward to that occasion. You know what I mean? I mean, granted COVID has been an issue. Um, I know he's been doing some podcasts uh, and I've been listening to those. Um, I mean, Jeff was always a super sweet, sweetheart, man. Like, 
you know, he's had, he's gone through some rough times, but he's honestly uh, a super gentle, you know, kind, loving human being. Yeah, I never really met him, but you know, those those dudes always just seem like, like like the real deal, you know. So, um, I, I just can't imagine being like seventeen, eighteen, and having like those guys be like the ones that like you're fresh out of high school and you're going on tour like a weekend or like a week long excursion with these dudes, you know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. They, they definitely, they definitely broke me in. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I'm obviously, you know, I, I didn't even realize how, how lucky I was to have been a part, you know, been, been there for that. You know what I mean? So I, I only know how lucky I am now. You know what I mean? Well, I almost feel like I should have asked you about cold as life last uh, all due respect to the other couple bands that I have to ask you about touring with, because I don't know if it's going to be the same crazy stories or not, uh, graveyard uh, experiences aside. But there's a couple other bands that we haven't really talked about. I, I forget how to pronounce them, but I remember them being around at the time. And I'm guessing you, you toured them around the same time too. Uh, Treefine or Treffin? Oh, uh, Trifin. So yeah, Trifin was, um, yeah, I just wrote it for them. Um, you know, they were a Detroit band, this guy named Brent Satterley sang in the band. They were, okay, they, they had two kind of phases as well, too. So there was their, their like, elephant stomp phase, which uh, they had three singers at the time. Um, uh, one of them was a Hayes brother, which is, uh, you know, a, a tyrant crew, you know what I mean? And Mike Casey from Earthmover was playing drums for them at the time. I never actually saw them that era I became homies with them and was rooting for them. The second wave, which Brent was still singing for, it was a completely different band uh, that was playing with them. And then also they had two singers instead of three. And this guy named Dan Lynch was singing with them and he would uh, plus minus records, put out the record. And um, Dan would also be the second singer for next to nothing. I definitely remember the name. I don't know if they ever played here or not, but I, I obviously would have seen them in, in a plus minus ad or something too. Cause with the distro I had and stuff, I probably had a lot of the plus minus stuff at one point or another. We, yeah. We went out to Buffalo one time. Um, I remember cause Scott Vogel came out to the show and that's why I was like, Oh shit. Like I didn't know Scott at the time, but obviously I was a fan of despair and buried alive. And I was like, Holy shit. Scott Vogel's at this fucking show. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, damn, dude, you know, but uh, yeah, that, that show was pretty cool. I don't remember where it was, but it was a good show. There was people at that show. I don't even remember who else played, but it was, it was a really good show. I almost wonder if, if Steve Titus booked that one because he was booking a lot of shows in Buffalo back then. Gotcha, but, gotcha. Um, so then the last band you would have roadied for that we haven't really talked too much about, I guess this would have been later on, would have been Lion of Judah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, my dear, my dear friends in line of Judah. Yeah. So, um, obviously, uh, there was the Desperate Measures connection with Gene, you know, who played in line of Judah. So there's that. Um, so yeah, you know, I wrote it for them a bit. They were actually the last band that I went out with, but I did wrote it for them a bit when they were more active. Um, yeah, the last time, this is the last time I went out of state. It was, uh with a band um this is probably like the year before covid you know they played at um it, they, they played in chicago at the advanced perspective festival with like firewalker and fury and stuff like that um at this really interesting like mexican 
like sports arena place that had like a soccer field and like um i don't know it was it was a really big spot but it had this little side place that you know that all the all the bands played at so but yeah that was the last band that i actually went out of state with or roadie for or anything you know what i mean so that was just a couple yeah. of years ago though yeah, just a couple of years ago, but I mean, I did, uh, you know, when they when they would come through, I would go, you know, I would go on the road with them or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, those are the homies, man. You know, love those guys. You know what I mean? Um, great bands. Um, you know, super sick. I mean, dude, they crushed it at that Advanced Perspective show. Like, especially not because that was like a rare occasion for them to play. You know, they they hadn't played in a while. And, all the bands were playing on stage at that advanced perspective show. Like they, they I, I don't know if the stage was there, but they, there was some kind of thing that, that maybe they had built and every band had played on there. And when Lion of Judah played, they decided to play on the floor. Okay. And the lighting was really interesting. And it added this like strange, like just really like kind of like mystical aura and just really kind of like almost like connected them with the crowd. Like it had more of like an old school, like hardcore feel. You know what I mean? Because they were, it was like, you know, we're one and the same. Like, we're not on the stage. We're on the ground floor with, with everybody else. You know, what I mean? you know what I mean? So it, it added like a real kind of like intimacy to it as well, too. You know what I mean? It was, they, 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 they fucking killed it at that show. Those were always my favorite shows coming up, too. One time, I mean, I've seen, you know, I saw Bane play who knows how many times. But one time they played here at like a VFW type place, which was on the floor, obviously. And that was probably one of the best one of the best sets they ever played you know it's always cool seeing it right in your face you know like the way it's yeah, sick, dude. i mean it's there's yeah. something to be said about stage diving too obviously but you know yes yes yeah <laughs> but yeah, of course of course time, like i don't know basements i might not be as into now just because i'm a little older but i could go to a show in one if i had to i guess you know but um certain things i guess as you get older i just don't really have so much interest in in uh doing i'm in a basement recording this right now but i prefer to be above ground if possible so <laughs> or, or that could be or that could be the next place that you have your your comeback show right when you start right. fucking shows again right, right in a basement <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. in this basement that you're in right now i'm hoping to fit more people than however many <laughs> this fucking, uh, messy basement fills um just fucking cram them in dude just fucking cram them in seems that's that's kind of why i've been like holding off on doing shows honestly the whole i don't want to cram people in right now you know what i mean true true that true that yes no very good point very good point um but you kind of mentioned this earlier kind of starting to wrap things up a little bit i I do have a few other things to ask you about though but let's talk about like current uh like hardcore and especially like detroit and stuff like have you been to any shows since like things have opened back up at all there or yeah um i went to never ending game i mean i've been kind of keeping it minimum just because you know because of the way things are you know what i mean i would probably be going to more but uh yeah i went to the never uh, never ending game had a show like a comeback show um that was pretty sick it was at this spot called edgman printing which isn't a venue but um our, uh, our friends jimmy and dj um, run that place um you know they do uh screen printing for like all kinds of hardcore bands and other kinds of stuff you know what i mean um it's their screen printing shop so um they've had a, a show or two there but um that never ended game show was pretty sick 
um, Hey Five Six came out to record it, so you can watch it, you know, on YouTube if you want to. Um, a bunch of people came out; it was a blast. And I do plan on going to one show tomorrow that's in Toledo, which is uh, Dare and Fiddlehead and Wildside. Um, it's at the Ottawa Tavern, so hopefully I can make it to that. Yeah, I haven't heard any of the new Dare stuff. I got that seven inch that came out a while ago. That's pretty good. Didn't end it from Baltimore play that that show you were talking about too in Detroit? Yeah, yeah, they played. Yeah, there was a couple out of state bands. There was, yeah. I think, a band called Shackles or something from New Jersey. Okay. Or, They're playing. And there was a couple. Shackles playing Buffalo pretty soon. I don't. I probably won't make it, but you know. Got you. I I could be wrong. I can't remember exactly who played, but it, you know, yeah, it was never any game ended. There was a I, there was a band from New Jersey, and then there was like one or two local bands that played as well yeah. too. It, it was a popping show. There was, you know, a couple, at least a couple hundred people there. So, yeah, I like that band. Ended. My buddy Pat uh, plays in that band. I can't remember if he plays guitar or bass, but that, I, I didn't even know he was playing in the band before I, I heard him and was like, man, this band's fucking good, you know? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So, it'd definitely be cool to see them or potentially have them be one of the first bands to play one of my shows next year. Yeah, so. yeah, there we go. Obviously, Never Ending Game is, is popping off for Detroit right now. Are there any other good bands uh, going on there right now? Um, it's kind of weird. I mean, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I could just be drawing a blank because it's been so long. You know what I mean? Like, there hasn't really been – I mean, there was some stuff when the pandemic was going on. I mean, our homie Ralph, who used to sing in Death of Custody, he's been kind of hustling – He's in a couple bands right now. Um, one of them's like an oi band, and then he's in this other band called Stacked Death. Uh, I think they're called. I, I'm sorry, Ralph, if I'm messing that up. I apologize, but um, yeah. So he's been kind of doing a bunch of stuff, but uh, yeah. Outside of local, I mean, it's 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 a new wave right now. You know what I mean? Like Freedom kind of broke up. And then there's like a there's like a whole new kind of crop going on, but kids are coming out, man. When 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 out of state bands come through, like kids come out, so you know the scene is still strong. You know what I mean? So you know, hopefully it keeps going out like that. keep going keep excuse me keeps going like that. You know? Yeah, definitely. So I know you were telling me before we started recording, you've been doing something pretty cool, and I and I've been keeping up. I think you were you're one of actually the few people like in the scene that I've kind of kept in touch with over the years uh, so i kind of know what you've been up to but like i guess tell everybody else like like what you've kind of been doing outside of hardcore for like the last like two decades or so yeah so i mean you know on top of you know playing in bands you know in hardcore bands you know um for the past you know 20 years i've also been heavily involved in filmmaking um and just like you know the film community you know i um, you know, I worked at a film advertising agency. I was a, a film critic for a paper for a little while. I worked at like an independent film school. And then, you know, I also worked on a bunch of movie sets as a crew member for a handful of years. And then the past uh, handful of years, I've been kind of focusing on directing, you know, so I made a bunch of shorts and I'm literally in the middle of directing my uh, debut feature right now. Um, you know, been in prep for it the past few months, and then we just started shooting a couple weeks ago. So hopefully, you know, I can get that in the can and, you know, hopefully not blow it. Now, um, did you, like, is did, like being, a, I guess, a director directing your first film, like, is that something you, like, 
knew the person who was doing the movie before? Like, did you kind of set it up through like an agency? Like, how does that all work? I guess. Um, okay. I mean, you know, I independently raised the money, you know, it, it's a very low budget film, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, every case is going to be different. You know, some yeah. movies are through a studio. Some yeah. movies are through a product, through a product, excuse me, through a production company, yeah. you know, or, or, or some people like myself just raise the money independently. You know yeah. what I mean? So, it, it, you know, by any means necessary, you know what I'm saying? So. And then all the film work and stuff you've done, has that all pretty much been in Detroit or? For the most part, I went down to New Orleans for a little bit and I worked on a couple of movies down there. I did this movie called Hell Baby, which is with uh, Reno 911 guys, you know, and Key and Peel or, or, or Keegan from Key and Peel was in the movie as well. And then I also worked on the second G.I. Joe movie um, with The Rock and Channing Tatum. Like, is there, I guess, is there like a big, like, I don't really know how to, to to ask it, I guess. Like, in Detroit, like, is there a big film industry, I guess, would be the way to ask, I guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's definitely, that's definitely the right way to ask. Okay, so how that kind of went down, I mean, obviously, um, you know, there was the Bruce Campbell Evil Dead era that, you know, those, all those guys that were kind of doing stuff, you know, and a bunch of filmmakers kind of came out of that, you know. And then in around 2008, when the economy kind of crashed, the uh, government raised the, the film incentive, the highest film incentive in America, okay? So everyone and their fucking mother was coming here to shoot movies, you know what I mean? So there became a film industry, like kind of like a booming industry because of that. But around 2013, 2014, the new governor came in and he completely uh, nixed the tax incentive, okay? And we became one of the only states in America that does not have a film tax incentive. We're like one of two states that do not have it, okay? And um, so obviously the filmmaking died kind of. But the thing is that there's still, I can think of at least 20 filmmakers in town that I know or am aware of that are making movies, you know, because it's, it's still, you know, right now the equipment's accessible, you know what I mean? Like this, you know, with technology and everything, you know what I mean? So... You know, if you can, you know, find the means to get it done, you can fucking do it, dude. You know, right now, you need, you know, re regional filmmaking isn't something new, but right now with the way that technology is, it's just so much more accessible, you know, so. I might ask you a couple tips off air about uh, doing some live podcasting in the future. Uh, at, at yeah, Venice. please do, please do. Is there anything that you can think of right now that we didn't talk about or anything? Like, I know I we mean, can jump all over the place throughout the conversation, but. Like, is there anything yeah. hardcore or anything like that that, like, I didn't ask you about or that you would have wanted to talk about more? Um, I mean, we covered a lot of ground, right? So, I mean, I can't think of anything, obviously, right now. But like you said, I might in 10 minutes. But, I mean, <laughs> I probably won't. I probably won't, though. You know what I mean? Like, we, Usually there's always like, you know, oh, you didn't talk about this show or that band or this my I, like some people want to give shout outs to certain people they forget to like talk about you know what i mean it's always something well i mean you know there's there's so much to learn about some, somebody and sometimes it's best just to keep things a mystery that's very true um i guess with you with that being said though is there anything you want to add to the conversation or any uh <laughs> with that being said you, you you're like i gotta make sure because you know I, I don't want to get this email in 10 minutes right <laughs> no but no man 
Yeah, it's been great, dude. I mean, dude, we've you you were really thorough, and you know, we we pretty much did everything. I mean, obviously, the shout out is the fucking the kingpin of Rochester, New York, fucking Josh Lyons, dude. The uh, kingpin of Rochester, New York, is Danny Wegman, by the way. Um, but I do appreciate the uh, shout out. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll wrap up with that. Uh, thanks to Ian for doing the interview. Thanks, as always, to Greg Benoit, helping spread the word about the podcast. Uh, as always, thanks to my family for all the support. Check us out on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. And as always, uh, give us a follow on Instagram. Thanks again, everybody, and stay safe.